Patrick, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So this is definitely kind of an interesting story about how this conversation started. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, really what happened was that uh, a podcast happened recently um, with a prominent member of the Nano community. Uh, I believe her name is George Coxon. She's the director at the Nano Foundation. And um, when that uh, episode was released, a lot of skeptics were pinged to kind of, you know, investigate the episode, take a listen, uh, give some, some feedback. And uh, it was fascinating because the nano community was incredibly open and inviting for this feedback. Um, and I think really most notably what happened was that uh, I believe you personally, um, you know, paid, like you sent nano to uh, myself and, and, uh, and one other person we'll talk about uh, as well. Um, to kind of encourage to get that, that, that feedback. And honestly, I was very impressed um, with this attitude because it's not something we see a lot in, in, in cryptocurrency. Um, and uh, anyways, it, 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 opened it, up to, you know, it opened up the idea, uh, in my mind, to an interesting conversation. Um, so first and for foremost, Patrick, uh, do you want to tell uh, everyone who's listening uh, who you are, how you got into Nano, just kind of a backstory yeah, for of, sure. of your role here? So, hey, everyone, I'm Patrick Lubris. Um, I got into Bitcoin in probably 2013. I was a college student at the time. I actually first heard about it in 2011 because of some price increase or something that was in the news. Uh, and I was studying uh, information technology at the time, so I was really interested in th those kinds of technologies. But I really didn't understand it at the time. I didn't know what it was about. I couldn't figure it out. I tried to mine because there was free electricity on campus. But it was too complicated for me at the time. There wasn't much uh, information on YouTube or Google or anything, right? Um, but I came back then in 2013 again because it was in the news. And then I started diving in a little bit more. Um, my, so my educational background is information technology. I have a master's degree in information security. I work in the InfoSec realm. Uh, in a past life, I was a Linux system administrator. But really, I'm just in the cryptocurrency space as a hobbyist and a, 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 hobbyist and a tech enthusiast. Um, and then as far as getting into nano, so um, one of the reasons I got into Bitcoin is because I like the idea of digital cash, like the digital equivalent of a $20 bill, right? In real life, I can take $20 out of my pocket, hand it to a buddy, and they're paid, right? They have the money, they can do whatever they want with it, no fees, really quick, um, no issues, right? And so I saw that Bitcoin had a similar concept, but digitally, of course, uh, with some other interesting aspects, right? Like uh, uh, no inflation or at least less inflation, potentially, depending on if you count block rewards and all that or not. But uh, some of those ideas were very interesting to me, at least as an experiment for peer-to-peer -peer digital cash. Um, so I'm, I'm, I was actually born in Germany and I have family in Haiti, uh, half German, half Haitian. And one of the challenges that I face sometimes is being able to send money to those countries. International funds transfer uh, is quite challenging. It's a lot better now than it was in those early days of Bitcoin. but um, there's still some challenges with the settlement of funds and the fees related to those uh, money transfers across the world like that. And so for me, that's really why I'm interested in Bitcoin and Nano. Um, not to keep going too much, I'll let you jump in here in a minute, but um, some of the challenges with Bitcoin that I experienced firsthand were the transaction fees, the confirmation times that just got ridiculous. Uh, at points in 2017, we're talking $50 plus uh, average con confirmation times were 48 hours plus. 
And that's just not feasible as a currency, right? If I'm trying to have that $20 bill experience, how's that going to work? And that's kind of what jump-started me into looking for alternatives and how I ended up finding them. Wow. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I didn't expect that. I knew that you were in the IT space. I didn't expect you to have a master's degree. That's, um, that's very cool. And I didn't know that you were half German, half Haitian. That's, uh, that's, <laughs> that like I, I don't know. Is, is, you must be like one of five people that can say that. Oh, uh, I, I bet so. Besides my, my siblings, of course. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's right. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, when I was looking into sort of the work that you do, I stumbled on your YouTube channel and you know, I got to say that I, I really enjoyed, um, just the way that you break things down. You're, you're very articulate. Uh, you lay things out in a really easy to, to understand way. Um, you know, when, uh, my producer and I, when we were looking at those videos, um, and he, he doesn't know very much about cryptocurrency. Um, I, I know quite a bit more, but you know, nano is not something that I know a lot about yeah. if almost anything and those videos were like very like interesting and, and helpful. Um, and so that, that was really cool. Um, so I, I highly recommend if, if anyone wants to learn a bit more uh, about that. So, um, so for the I jump in, is your audience familiar with Nano? Should I give an overview of what it is or what it's trying to be or? Well, actually, that's, that's exactly what I was just about to ask you. So for, for my audience, um, I, I wanted to ask you, because you, you have a great video called Nano in 60 Seconds, um, and I just wanted you to have that opportunity again, you know, take as much time as you need, but <laughs> what is Nano, and why is it such a big deal? Okay, uh, so it's going to start out sounding like a bunch of buzzwords, but I'm going to try to break them down. So Nano is decentralized, self-sovereign, censorship-resistant, non-inflationary, peer-to-peer digital cash. Now that sounds like a bunch of scammy buzzwords, right? No one knows what it means, but I use those words pretty carefully because I think they directly explain nano and they explain why, at least to me, it's interesting and important. So decentralized in the sense that there's no one entity, no one person uh, that has control of the network and its rules, right? It's a voluntary opt-in network where everyone is agreeing to a set of rules to essentially do money over the internet, right? Uh, No one person can say, hey, I want to print twice as many nano and then make your nano worthless kind of thing. Um, uh, Self-sovereign, meaning that I have control of my funds and no one can take it from me. There's no permission required. I can just sign up. I don't have to sign up. I just run a node. I generate an address and I can immediately transact with people. I don't have to um, go through a, a lengthy verification process or anything like that. No one can tell me no. I just sign up and use it. You can download a node, no permissions required, uh, and you can immediately transact with people all over the world. Um, censorship resistance is the next piece, and that's kind of tied to self-sovereignty, but uh, no one can prevent you from making a transaction, right? There's no one entity that can say, hey, Patrick, we don't like your transactions. You can't make them. Uh, the peer-to-peer, uh, kind of explained with those other characteristics, but it's me sending money back and forth. Uh, And what makes Nano unique versus other cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, I'll use Bitcoin as a measuring stick since that's what most people are familiar with, is that there's no transaction fee. When I send 20.1 Nano, you receive 20.1 Nano. Uh, It's near instant. Uh, Average confirmation times are around 400 milliseconds, could go up to a few seconds depending on load, that kind of thing, where you are in the world. Um, It's environmentally friendly. Sending a nano transaction is, uses less power than flicking on a light switch for a few seconds. Um, 
and it has deterministic fin finality. So in Bitcoin, it uses proof of work, which is a probabilistic finality system. So the, essentially, a Bitcoin transaction is never really completely finally confirmed. It's just more and more confirmed to the point where it's unrealistic for it to ever get unconfirmed, which is one of the reasons exchanges usually make people who use Bitcoin wait two to six confirmations because they're waiting for more and more finality, right? Uh, in Nano's case, all the voting happens immediately and upfront, and then you can't reverse the transaction. So I make a transaction, I broadcast it out to the network. The network sees that transaction and they check against all the previous transactions and say, hey, does it follow all the protocol rules? Have I seen any competing transactions like a double spend? If not, I'm going to respond with my vote. And once you, your own node sees enough of those votes coming in that say, hey, this looks legitimate to me, you mark that transaction as confirmed and final. And that all happens at basically the speed of internet latency. That's why you get the 400 milliseconds to a few seconds. So you're telling me that you can send Nano from anywhere to anyone and in what's less than a second, uh, most of the time, the other person is getting that confirmation. Exactly. Yep. Now, up until a week ago, I would have said, you know, I'm not sure if that's true or not, what you just said. Yep. Uh, however, um, you know, as part of our, like, you know, Twitter back and forth, you sent me some Nano. Uh, do you want to tell people how you did that and what really went on there and then i'll tell people you know the experience from my end yeah so a, a nano community member built a twitter tip bot that allows people to deposit nano into an on-chain nano address so the twitter tip bot creates a nano account for you and you can send money to it and that's all on chain confirmed on the uh, nano block lattice um, and then you can use that to uh, tip nano to anyone on twitter so what i did was i had deposited some nano into my uh, nano account on that tip bot. Then I uh, gave it a command that said, hey, tip Aviv X number of dollars, or you could do it straight in nano value uh, and to his address. And then it creates a nano account on chain for Aviv and sends the funds over to Aviv. And then at that point, he can send the fund to his own wallet, to an exchange, to sell it, to a merchant, whatever. It's, it's just like a Bitcoin transaction or any other payment, but it's final. Gotcha. Um, so, um, so what, what, what happened was, uh, you sent me, um, some nano using this Twitter bot. Uh, I didn't know what to do from then on, but someone had tweeted, I think it might've even been you that you, you, you have to tweet in a direct message with the bot. You let the bot know that you want to withdraw and with one command, um, with a download of a wallet, um, you can, you know, withdraw that nano. So that, that that's what I did. I downloaded the, I believe it's called the Natrium uh, yep. wallet. Um, and I would say in about three minutes, I had my nano from the Twitter bot in my Natrium wallet. Um, and that three minutes was just me downloading, uh, going through the onboarding screen, um, you know, clicking receive, like pasting that into my Twitter, figuring out what was the correct way to interact with the bot. The actual confirmation, I think, probably took under two seconds. I can't verify exactly how fast, but it was it was definitely instant. Um, so yeah, that that was very uh, that was very cool. Do you remember the first time you received Nano? Um, oh yeah, so that that was in uh, late 2017, November or December, I think, when I started looking at alternatives because that's also when Bitcoin was blowing up in the mainstream media again, but to a crazy amount, hitting almost twenty thousand dollars. And um, 
I actually tried IOTA first, another cryptocurrency, because it had similar claims as Nano, which was actually Rayblox at the time. Uh, and I didn't get quite the experience that was advertised. Uh, so I came into Nano a little bit skeptical, but I tried it again with, I think it was called Nano Wallet or a Rayblox Wallet at the time, something like that. And uh, the transaction took about 10 seconds faster or slower than today. But that was still way faster than anything I experienced, and it had zero fees. And I was I was a mind blown at that point. And that's what really got me into the rabbit hole hole because I was like, how is this possible? I was so used to the Bitcoin experience or other cryptocurrency experience. I I figured there had to be a gimmick or a catch somewhere, right? There's some issue because it just the user experience is I think almost as close <clears throat> as you can get to like a a Venmo, a Zelle, a PayPal. In the crypto world, though, which is very challenging because everything else has fees. You got to figure out how much to pay um, and and you have to wait. Did I actually make the right transaction? Have I lost my transaction? But with Nano, it's so quick. It's, I don't have time to worry. Right. But yeah, I clearly remember that experience. <laughs> so at the time, and I think I kind of remember what was going on with the crypto space at the time. Uh, what was it like to send Bitcoin to someone? in those days and how did it compare? Like if you wanted to send, you know, $5 of Bitcoin, or let's say you wanted to do what you did with me on Twitter. And if you wanted to do that with Bitcoin, what would that look like? Yes. So before 2017, I I actually did use Bitcoin to purchase some online goods. I think I bought stuff from Newegg. Uh, There was Bitcoin Black Friday. I used it as a way to send remittances essentially to my family. And the fees were very low, uh, like 50 cents, if that. and the confirmation times, you could almost always, with that 50 cent or less fee, get into the next block. So within 10 minutes-ish, get your first confirmation, and then um, whoever you're receiving it would have it. In 2017, when I was trying to use it again the same way, the transaction fees were skyrocketing. They, were, they hit uh, 5 10 $15. i am I'm pretty sure they got as high as $50 average transaction fee for Bitcoin. Um, and then the confirmation, average confirmation times were climbing too because there was so much interest, right? Bitcoin is roughly capped at around seven transactions per second. And when you have a huge amount of interest, that space gets filled very quickly, right? And so um, the fees, I, I remember spending, I, I want to say like $5 plus to send like $5 worth of Bitcoin, which obviously makes no sense. And that's what makes it so challenging to use for some of these use cases um, like Twitter tip bots or these little microtransactions. Like I can send 50 cents in Nano and it, it makes sense to do so, but in Bitcoin, not so much, unless maybe you're using Lightning Network, but that has its own challenges and it's still tied to that first layer. Okay, wow. So, uh, you know, there was a point, I guess, at that time where, like you said, it could have cost you 5 10 15 maybe even $50 to send money. Um, so in the case of the tip that you sent me, which was $35, or I believe it was even $40, um, you know, that could have been the entire size of that tip would have, would have had to also gone in fees. Yep. Um, so it would have been like a 50% fee um, in total. Um, I want to kind of go back to uh, an interesting part of your life, which is that you, you, you have these two countries that are, you know, across the world uh, from each other. And I'm guessing, so you're in Germany now, but you have family in, ha- in, in Haiti. I'm actually uh, at in the Texas moment. now. Uh, I have family oh, okay. in Germany and family in Haiti. Yep. Okay. Wow. Okay. So that so there are three pieces here. So you're in the United States. You're in Texas. Um, you have family in Germany. You have family in Haiti. So walk me through. Uh, was there a time before Nano, before crypto, 
where you were uh, looking at ways to send money across. I'm sure you know your parents, your family were sending you money. I'm sure you were sending money, you know, elsewhere. Um, you know, walk us through what that was like. So I can't think of before crypto, but I actually this past week I sent some money to Haiti, and the primary way that my family there accesses uh, money transfers Western Union, right? Because they have places you can go and cash out immediately. And so I had to sign up for Western Union. Um, they charge, I think, for, for debit cards. It's like a, a $4 fee on a $50 transaction, which is almost, almost 10%, not quite. Um, and it takes, it, I want to say like 30 minutes. or with it, Depending on if you use like a credit card, debit card, or bank deposit, uh, how long it requires them to wait on their end. But I think it's within 30 minutes. So that's actually not too bad uh, in that use case. So there's there's a there's a flat fee which it prevents you from sending you know five dollars for example because that yeah. becomes not very practical, but if you were to send let's say a hundred dollars then it only it's it's only four percent. Yeah, makes more sense. Obviously, on our day to day, we would hate to have four percent transaction fees with our you know credit cards and our e transfers, um, but here you're sending money a- across the world. Is it converting the money for you as well? Uh, because I'm not super familiar with. Uh, the currencies we're discussing here. So are we talking US dollars to euros, euros to the Haitian currency, which I'm terribly sorry, I don't happen to know what it is. Um, What are we talking about here? Yeah, so in this case, it was US dollars to Haitian gourds. And Western Union did that that conversion for me. Uh, And again, I think there's actually a slippage in the conversion rate there. Um, If you compare like the, the market conversion rate versus what Western Union gave me, there might have been a, a little bit of loss there, but I, I didn't that much attention. So I know, for example, with my bank, that they will have a fixed fee uh, for uh, currency s- transfers, but there's also a kind of a, a subtle hidden, you know, half a percent, one percent fee where they slightly deviate what the market exchange rate is yep. in their favor on both ends. So, um, so if you send a thousand dollars, it might only be a four dollar flat fee, but then there's that half a percent or one percent fixed fee. So yeah. it becomes $14, right? Uh, even if you're sending uh, 1000 Um, So how has your family uh, changed and altered given your uh, insight and your uh, time in cryptocurrency? Have they uh, figured out ways to uh, deal with the problem that you're, you're, you're discussing? How have things changed? No, not really. So my family does not really use cryptocurrency outside of me and me sending some money to my brothers in the past. It's not something that I do regularly. And one of the real big challenges is that, that in conversion piece, right? Because for them to be able to purchase goods and services in their country, they need their local currency at this point in time. There's not a developed nano market. You can't go to the store and buy goods directly in nano. In most cases, there are some, uh, in some places there's options for that, but it's not widespread, right? Um, and so that's, that's a huge challenge. Okay, wow. So um, uh, that, that's definitely interesting because, um, you know, and I, and I find that to be a, a normal, like a, a sort of a recurring theme in sending money, which yep. is that once you're in the same country, it's pretty easy. So for example, if you're in the United States, you have Venmo. Uh, I happen to be in Canada. Venmo isn't legal. There's no Venmo in Canada. Really? So, okay. um, so if you said, hey, you know, Aviv, can you Venmo me some money? Um, 
that would be great if I was in the United States. As soon as I go to Canada, uh, it becomes it becomes complicated. And this is sort of the the, the normal theme that like it's exactly. it's free and fast if you're in the same country. As soon as you um, as soon as you introduce uh, national borders, things get complicated. Yeah. Um. So I wanted to kind of uh um jump on something very interesting. I was following your YouTube channel. Um, and you started your YouTube channel in, uh, at the end of 2017, sort of as like a kind of, I'm guessing sort of like a, like a journal, like you were just kind of thinking out loud and you wanted to see, uh, where things, things, uh, were going to go. Um, and that's very cool. I wish I had done that for a lot of things, not just, you know, crypto, but in general. Um, one thing that really blew my mind was that you perfectly called the BitConnect Ponzi scheme. In November of 2017, uh, this is your second video, um, uh, and in this video, you talk about BitConnect. And at the time, just for the audience, um, BitConnect wasn't known to be a Ponzi scheme. There was evidence, there was, uh, you know, speculation, but it wasn't prov provably 100% a Ponzi scheme until later. Um, so. What was sad about that video, though, was that it only got, you know, uh, a few hundred views. And I'm guessing that had you, you, you had a bigger audience at the time, um, you might have made uh, a bigger impact. Do you remember uh, BitConnect? And, and tell me about, you know, what that was like making that video and, and thinking through um, uh, that scam. Oh, man, you're taking me way back. I totally forgot I even <laughs> made that video. But I, I remember pretty clearly because I was, I'm a big Reddit fan, right? And BitConnect was all over Reddit on the cryptocurrency subreddits, sometimes comments in other subreddits. And people were saying, like, I put in my money here. and I'm generating these crazy, crazy returns. And in those comments, there was a hint of almost they, they were saying that it wasn't a scam because they're using, they're just trading for you and doing some kind of arbitrage. And they're presenting that opportunity to you, the customer, right? So I was trying to, to dig in and figure out like, what, what's going on here. And, then I realized there was a ton of BitConnect community members on YouTube, that whole other sphere of, of influence and people sharing these crazy gains and dropping in tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars with the promise of Lambos and much, much more. And I just remember reading through the site and, and really, actually, let me back up a step. Whenever I hear about a new cryptocurrency, I like to think that I'm pretty open, right? I'll go to the website. I'll try to read their own claims. I'll try to try it out for myself if I can. Uh, I really right. like white papers and some a little bit of academic research around the that technology. Have have other people looked at it? What are the challenges and that kind of thing? So I was looking for that same information on BitConnect, and it really wasn't there. There was some of that marketing fluff and the the vague promise of yeah, we're trading for you and you get some of the money that we make. Right, we're just using your money to do it. But there were no details. There were no um, explanations of how and why. Um, you're getting interest on your BitConnect. And it was the red flag to me was that the way you really make money is getting more people into BitConnect. That's you uh, have affiliate links, you bring them into the system, you get a percentage of their cuts. And as they keep propagating it down the line, it keeps coming back to you. Right. And that to me, that was a huge red flag at the time. Yeah. It, you know, that's it's fascinating the way you describe that, because I remember a lot of people, you know, stooping to that, you know, the BitConnect shill, right? They would go on YouTube and they would post these links where people are encouraged to put their their Bitcoin, right? Their we're just going to call it 
you know, their real value, right, into this BitConnect token, which we later found out uh, was a Ponzi. You, of course, at least had a, a very uh, high percentage intuition that it was a Ponzi. I'm not going to say that you know for certain, but you, you, were, yeah. um, you were happy to tell people not to invest in it. Um, of course, no one gave you any money for discouraging um, investment. Unfortunately, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, but you were at least confident enough to say, hey, guys, you know, don't, this is not a good idea. This is not a good idea. Uh, be, be wary. Um, and it, it, it really sucked thinking that people like, um, you know, the, the name that everyone remembers is, I believe, Trayvon James. You know, that, that I think he was the biggest BitConnect shill at the time. Um, you know, it sucks to think that he profited so immensely from other people, uh, you know, giving their, 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 their real value to criminals. Um, and I think that's an interesting kind of um, uh, a thought there. Uh, I, I think that the crypto space, unfortunately, struggles to um, give attention and, you know, money or compensation to people that are critical and then pays a lot of money to people that, uh, you know, will shill something, even if it's, um, you know, we find out later it's just criminal. Yeah, for sure. I agree with you there. And what's also interesting to me is when people are, oh, hold on. So I, I kind of lost my train of thought. Um, Where was that? We're talking about BitConnect. Oh, so a, a lot of people in the cryptocurrency space are very happy to ignore the red flags and the warning signs as long as they make money. And for me, I've seen a lot of opportunities where you, you can make money on Ponzi schemes if you get in earlier enough, right? Like those people at the beginning, at the top of BitConnect, they made money and got out. Maybe they have legal challenges now, right? But a lot of people got away scot-free, right? I'm not someone that wants to ignore those red flags and make money for making money's sake. I'm very interested in the underlying technology. And really, I, I still think all of the cryptocurrency is an a cryptocurrency space is an experiment and can fail. But I'm really trying to look at the long-term vision and possibility of this technology, whether it's nano or something else. To me, there's potential for really world-changing value here. Like the ignoring nano or any cryptocurrency, right? The idea of me being able to send value to anyone anywhere in the world instantly, zero fees, no permission. I can just, they can download an app. I can send them money. We can interact with each other, sell goods and services. To me, that's a very powerful idea. Um, and I would like to see that come to fruition, whether it's Nano or something else. But I, there's so many people that I see on Twitter or otherwise that they they just want the money. And I, I can't say I don't want money, right? Everyone wants to, to make money to, um, to provide income for themselves or whatever, right? But the, I, I wish there was a way for the cryptocurrency space to, to get away from the, those blatant Ponzi schemes and the money grabs and come together towards potentially world-changing technology and focus on that. But me on my soapbox. I don't know if that makes sense to anyone, but no, absolutely. I mean, that's something that I really enjoyed about listening to you is that you're not on YouTube or on Twitter um, just telling people to throw money at stuff. You're talking about proof of work. You're talking about consensus. You're talking about how Nano actually works. Um, one thing I wanted to 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 mention, which I think is is important, is that the Nano community more broadly, and I would love 
for your input on this, um, is some of some of the most well-intentioned and open, positive people uh, that I've seen. You don't always get that. You have different styles and flavors of communities. A lot of communities are purely like, we're in it for the money, let's wait for the pump, and then we're all going to get Lambos. The nano community is, you know, it's fascinating um, just the amount of people that are, um, you know, trying to be good actors and help others. Um, what, what's it like being part of that community? And, and what can you say about, you know, the people that, you know, you, you, you spend a lot of time talking with and working with on, on Twitter and, and broadly? Yeah. So I won't lie. There's bad actors in every community, including in the nano community. And there are a lot of people that are just here for the money, right? I can't deny that. It's a cryptocurrency space. That's what people are here for. But I think the nano community is a little bit unique because we have a very strong tie to that core vision of peer-to-peer digital cash. The kind of philosophy uh, in the nano space is that cryptocurrency doesn't make sense unless it is effective for value transfer. In a lot of cases, there might be edge cases and other use cases, but in the nano community, the peer-to-peer value transfer use case is what we think gives nano its value, right? If, if we sit around just collecting pet rocks, right, for collecting pet rocks sake and say, hey, we're going to wait and, until this makes us rich, it makes no sense. The, the value comes from being able to use that thing, in this case, nano, for something, for some other purpose, right? Being able to um, sell goods and services, being able to protect against inflation or, or whatever you're interested in, right? And that utility is what leads to value. And because of that, I think the nano community is very focused on um, finding the best possible technology in that space. And there's a lot of community members, myself included, that are pretty upfront about the fact that if we find something better than nano, we will switch. Where I'm not tied to nano, I am more tied to the, that idea of peer-to-peer digital cash, right? That's why I started with Bitcoin. I used to be a Bitcoin maximalist because I thought that it could do all the things I was looking for. And then over time, I kind of went in a different direction, right? And I think that's shared by a lot of the nano community. And I think that's also kind of an honest way of doing science, right? You have a, you have a theory, you try something, you're trying to break ground, but at the same time, you realize that sometimes when you have some idea, it doesn't have to work out. Maybe the final iteration is a little bit different than the first iteration. Um, yep. I think that's a challenge that we have in this space is that when people find something they latch onto it and it can be tough to, you know, make that progress and then be intellectually honest about the state of things and where things are going. Um, one thing that I've also noted, noticed about the nano community, which speaks to the level of uh, global and social conscientiousness that I, that I observe is that uh, a lot of people are talking about environmental sustainability. Um, so I just wanted you to sort of iterate, like, why is that important to the nano community? And, um, and yeah, and why are people talking about the environment when we talk about nano? Yeah, that's definitely a good point. If you have currency that can be sent anywhere in the world, but it takes an enorm- enormous amount of resources to do so, you're kind of, you're losing a lot of the benefits. And effectively, there's an externality that someone has to pay for, right? There's harm to the environment, potentially. Um, that someone is paying for. In Nano's case, we, we don't want to waste resources for wasting resources' sake. Now, of course, to, to kind of steel man the Bitcoin argument a little bit, in their case, they're arguing that the 
the resource usage is not a waste, but it's directly tied to security, right? The more resources used, the more secure Bitcoin is. Uh, and it's a competitive, um, secure, uh, a competitive consensus mechanism in that everyone is competing to try and get those block rewards, right? More and more uh, computing resources are being thrown at Bitcoin so that they can be the ones to, to get those rewards. Um, in Nano's case, it's more of a cooperative consensus mechanism. Um, it's not a, a race to be the first person to solve the puzzle. It's everyone, all the representatives are seeing the transactions and they're all responding with, hey, this looks good to me or doesn't look good to me. And then everyone's tallying that up for themselves. So you don't have that same, um, I don't know how to say, it's, it's just a different consensus mechanism, right? And if we can, if we have an alternative to Bitcoin that can effectively do the same things, meaning decentralized peer-to-peer cash, like value transfer, store of value, uh, protecting from inflation, that kind of thing. If we can get those same properties without the waste, why would we not go to the version that is not making that waste? Um, for some context, Digi, Digi Economist, I think, posts some statistics and did some studies on Bitcoin power usage and updates the numbers quite frequently. And I think a single Bitcoin transaction, when you average it out, uh, is doing around like 700 plus kilowatt hours of power usage. For context, I live here in Texas. It's 90 degrees, 100 degrees uh, the whole month, basically. I have AC on 24-7, a family in this house, single family home. And we use about maybe 900 kilowatt hours of power for a whole month. To spend that much power on one transaction if you have an alternative like Nano that uses as much as a, like a light bulb, it, that's, that's just mind-blowing to me. That, that's problematic and one of the reasons why I think the Nano community is so um, behind or so promoting of the environmental friendliness aspect. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really does feel that the Nano community um, is more than just talking about currency. There, there's a bigger vision here. Um, there's a vision of of being socially responsible and, and conscious, uh, conscientious, I guess, about what's really going on. There's the vision of solving real problems and not just, you know, speculation. Um, and there's also this like healthy encouragement towards skepticism, um, which I think is critical if you really want to find uh, the true, um, you know, solutions to these problems. Uh, one, one more, you know, one more time, I'm going to point to something that you did, which is your YouTube video on the biggest problems that Nano has. You confidently talk about, like, I believe it was eight or nine, uh, problems that you think were, uh, were a pretty big deal. How did the community react to that video, um, of you essentially talking about the issues that, uh, something like the Nano project might face? Yeah, the reception to that video was pretty good. And I actually posted two corresponding Reddit threads, one in the nanocurrency subreddit and one in the cryptocurrency subreddit to get additional feedback. And the response was great in, in both communities. Um, I think there's, there's a surprising number of people that are interested in skepticism and, and like looking at the challenges and taking maybe a more realistic view of various cryptocurrencies, nano or, or otherwise. But I think m- there may not be as much technical, no- or, or there I don't know how to phrase this correctly, but there's really not that many people that are willing to really take the time and criticize something that maybe they're a fan of, right? And in Nano's case, 
for me personally, I don't want to put my time or energy or money in something that is broken or has no long-term future or uh, has challenges that can't be solved, right? I think any rational uh, investor, technology, um, um, technologist, IT guy, they should be looking at the, the challenges in whatever technology they're evaluating and how they're solved and what um, cryptocurrencies compete with that technology and how maybe they approach things differently. So in, in Nano's case, I, it really started because I evaluate all cryptocurrencies the same way. I start, I look at their website, who are the founders, how is it distributed, how is it given away for free, how does it work, how do you come to consensus, what are the fees like, what's the transaction speed, um, what's the long-term future in terms of scalability, what are the risks in terms of um, censorship or bad actors or lost funds, right? And when you, if you just take that criteria and look at every com- cryptocurrency side by side and just do the work, the answers kind of come out at you and you can start to see, okay, this, this cryptocurrency is obviously a red flag, a lot of bad things here. Let me just not put too much of my time here. These other ones, okay, they look a little bit more promising. Let me dive in a little bit more. And so really I was doing that, that, that research for myself and then decided to share it with the, the community. And I, I, that's not a one-time process either. That's something that I try to repeatedly and constantly do. Um, for example, Twitter. I know there's a lot of crazy arguments and uh, name-calling and that kind of thing. But when someone throws a criticism or an argument against Nano that I see, I try to take that seriously and in good faith uh, respond to that argument. Uh, things I common, commonly see are questions about distribution, um, scalability. How can Nano really have zero fees? Doesn't that lead to spam? And yes, that is one challenge that Nano faces. Uh, decentralization. Is Nano really decentralized? Uh, what is the long-term future of Nano? All those things, they're important questions. And I try not to give people the answers. I try to tell people, okay, here's my thought process and what I think, and let you come to your own conclusion. And it's it's fascinating because you know you, you have a very open minded perspective to to this, um, and you know a lot of the nano community uh, on Twitter also has that. You know when we were engaging on Twitter, a lot of people were openly asking, like, "What do you mean by that?" And you know. Uh, if you feel this way here, why won't you feel this way there? Like asking a lot of these interesting questions. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I want to kind of um, um, hone in on on this then and ask and ask you um, because you 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 live this you know day in day out uh, for for a little while. Why do you feel that people can be dis- so dismissive and you know uh, or combative or defensive when? you know, Nano is brought up. Where is this coming from? Why is Nano not getting the um, the proportional response back from people, which would be like openness and dialogue and discussion? Uh, I think it probably comes down to money, to be honest, right? There's a lot of money in the cryptocurrency space. And a lot of people see cryptocurrency as a zero gum, a zero sum game. If for Nano to do well, my holdings, my cryptocurrency has to do poorly, right? Um, and I think that might be some of where that tension comes from. And also there's the inherent idea of a, a competitor and an innovator disrupting a previous cryptocurrency. A lot, Nano gets compared to Bitcoin because Bitcoin is the measuring stick, right? Like I mentioned earlier. But for some people, 
that that idea can be a little bit scary that you're replacing something that has all this time, potentially replacing something that has all this time, energy, effort, money, resources, developers put into it. And maybe that makes it harder to evaluate alternatives. And that, that applies to every currency, including Nano. A, a big Nano fan like myself, I do catch myself sometimes briefly getting that tinge of, oh, I'm just going to ignore that argument because I'm so into this nano space. I'm so, I spent so much time here. I don't want to, I've heard this a million times. Why, I'm, why am I going to take that argument seriously again? But I think it's important to catch yourself in those moments and think, okay, have things changed? Is there, are they making a good point here? Because even if you approach it from a purely selfish perspective, right? And you, you're only here to make money. If that's the case, you should be looking critically at your own cryptocurrency and other cryptocurrencies, because if there's a problem, that's your money on the line then, right? And even if you're ignoring all the technology and vision pieces or ideology pieces of cryptocurrency, from a financial perspective, it makes sense to look at alternatives versus just doubling down and burying your head in the sand. Absolutely. And, you know, that that burying the head in the sand, you know, that can come from sort of this mindset of, you know, I, I, I've made my decision financially. I've put my eggs in this basket. I don't want to deal with the possibility that I've 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 gone in the wrong direction. You know, I, I want to think about things that align with what's financially going to make sense uh, for me. I want to talk about Nano as like the vision, because when you go on the, you know, Nano.org website, the thing that comes like front and center is digital money for the modern world. It's not, you know, get in now, invest, you know, huge returns. It's digital money for the modern world. Um, another uh, sort of question that I had um, is, you know, so there's a dismissive element where people in crypto are, are you know, bad-mouthing each other because they want their particular brand to win. Um, how has the adoption of Nano as digital money for the modern world uh, been and is there a, a sort of dismissal from just the, sort of the average person uh, to get on board into that uh, discussion? Yes. So adoption of Nano has been pretty slow overall, and there is a dismissal in, in a lot of cases because, quite frankly, a lot of people don't need Nano and they don't need cryptocurrency. Right? People in like the United States generally who have a bank account and have access to Venmo, Zelle, PayPal, those kind of things. They don't see all of the same problems that someone like may, maybe me and my family in Haiti might experience, right? There's different challenges in that. And if you have a fairly stable economic system or financial system, you're maybe not worried about hyperinflation or government seizure of funds or those kind of things. And that's why I think like in the United States case, it can be very hard to quote unquote sell nano or other cryptocurrencies to some people because they probably don't need it, right? Maybe if you're a little bit worried about inflation, um, you use cryptocurrency as a hedge. But overall, you're, you're not getting a huge benefit out of cryptocurrencies in a lot of cases. Uh, Nano has seen uh, some interest and adoption in countries like Vietnam, Venezuela, Brazil, um, some countries in Africa, Philippines, because their financial systems are a little bit different than ours, right? And they have different challenges. Some are facing more inflation. Some are fa facing government fund seizures. Uh, some don't have access to banks or bank accounts, and they can't send money digitally as easily, right? And I think that's where nano and cryptocurrency really starts to make a lot more sense. 
Absolutely. You are kind of in this as a hobbyist. You are in IT, so this is your wheelhouse, so to speak. It's kind of a flavor of computer science um, is, is the nano space. You know, it's not what you do for a living, like no. your day job, but it's, you know, it's, it's, something, it's something related. Um, I'm guessing that you've, you've, you know, you've been in, in nano for, for, for a while. Um, would you say, like, for you personally, just as a hobbyist, do you, do you hold a lot of nano? Um, are you trading? Are you day trading? Uh, do you treat it as just, you know, cash, like, you know, the cash that you have in your wallet where you're just happy to have some of it sit there? H how do you personally, um, you know, treat nano, uh, as, uh, you know, in, in your role? Yeah, so I, I use it for holding and for spending. I, I don't know if you can see on the camera, but I'm actually wearing a, a nano ring that I bought with nano from someone in the nano community. Um, and so mostly... I don't have too much in nano. And the, again, the first rule of all cryptocurrency is never sp invest more than you can afford to lose. Anything I put in nano, I treat as completely burned, completely gone, worthless, the, as if the cryptocurrency had failed, right? And I think that mindset should be in everyone's mind for all cryptocurrencies. It's a risky space. It's still experimental. Nano and every cryptocurrency could fail. Um, but the, the big challenge for me with nano is the exchange point. Until maybe the last month or so, going directly from U.S. dollars to Nano in Texas was not really possible, except through maybe one exchange, and that was through uh, wire transfers that had $10 or $20 fees. And so when you're dealing with onboarding and offboarding challenges like that, it's very difficult to obtain Nano and then to spend Nano. And then furthermore, in the United States, tax challenges are a real issue with spending cryptocurrency because you have to uh, keep track of the cost basis uh, when you purchase that cryptocurrency and when you spend it and you have to pay taxes on that if you're following all the rules right um and that's really challenging unless a vendor keeps track of that for you um so in my life i mostly i follow from a technological perspective i'm involved in reddit uh discord twitter uh keeping track of different conversations putting in my feedback my two cents when i can my two nano and then just reading and it's it's almost just like a a hobby to um to just read the GitHub repo to see what kind of development changes are happening, uh, what new ideas people ha have, and how can we push this experiment farther? Because I don't know if it will succeed. I hope it will. But I think there's merit in at least trying and pushing this decentralized cryptocurrency as far as we can. And I, uh, you know, so I missed one part of your question. Sorry, I, I don't day trade or anything. I, I actually have not sold any Nano since I first bought in 2017 until now. Except for if you count like when I buy goods and services with Nano, I'm, I just oh, okay. So so you don't you don't uh, you know you don't buy and then sell and then buy and then sell. You know yep. even you 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 got some Nano back in 2017 and then you're just you know using it when the opportunity arises. Yeah, so I just keep buying and holding basically. That's it. Awesome. Um, you know, talking about uh, use case and adoption um, in cryptocurrency, one. Uh, very rough measurement of adoption and use case is, is the price um, because when uh, people uh, get interested in something like Nano, uh, they'll, they'll give it a shot, they'll buy some, they'll get a hold of some Nano, and uh, the price you know, can, can reflect that. Um, in, in January of this year, or uh, even uh, end of last year, Nano was not even a, a dollar. Um, and then in the last few months, Nano you know, at times hit like $10. Um, so how, how does this feel for you? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to ask you to, to, to say exactly how much Nano you have or whatever, but how does it feel for you 
um, holding Nano, having Nano, and then watching that price appreciate so much in such a short period of time. Oh, so so I'm numb to that. I got into cryptocurrency in like 2013, right? Um, and I've seen the crazy highs and the crazy lows. Uh, Nano in 2017 or 2018 hit $36 per Nano and has dropped all the way down to, I think you said $1 or even I think 27 cents or something. So that fluctuation is real, happens constantly. And at this point, I, I more or less ignore it. I just, I buy, hold, and spend for the future. Um, that, that is actually a criticism people bring up of Nano and cryptocurrency in general is the volatility and the fluctuation, which makes it in hard in many cases to actually use as a currency, right? Um, I've seen the arguments come up. If, if Nano is going to increase in value over, over time, why would I spend Nano today, right? I would just hold it and never use it as a currency, right? And then on the flip side, uh, people say, if I, if I receive Nano and it could go down 90% the next day, why would I receive Nano, right? It's too, too risky, too challenging. And those are uh, big challenges in the short and medium term um, but I think the vision, again, is a circular economy in the nano space, kind of like um, USD. For me here in Texas, I get paid in U.S. dollars. I spend U.S. dollars. And technically, U.S. dollars do fluctuate when compared to other currencies. But because all of my goods and the way I'm paid is in U.S. dollars, right, I don't really care about the fluctuation. That's the the long-term vision, I think, with nano, when we may never get there. And then um, also in the short term, you have... Uh, other alternatives to solve those uh, criticisms or challenges like immediate conversion to your local currency and that kind of thing if you're worried about the volatility. You know, you make a good point that the U.S. dollar itself, right, like when you are buying milk in Texas with U.S. dollars, it appears stable like month by month. But when you look from the perspective of someone in Japan, the price of milk from their currency converted, there is that fluctuation, right? Um, now, some countries do a good job of mitigating that fluctuation where uh, things are stable. And then when you look at other countries, st things are also still kind of stable. Like, for example, I'm in Canada. Canadian dollars do fluctuate with the U.S. dollar. It's not extreme. I would say we, we see like a 30 percent change in the currency over like a year. And, you know, and it's, you know, it, it, it definitely uh, acts as an incentive to go to the States to buy products or in the reverse to have Americans come here and spend. Um, but overall, there are countries that do a good job. And then, of course, there are countries that do a terrible job where the price of milk is changing on a monthly basis or a weekly basis or an hourly basis, depending on how bad of a job um, they're doing. So, um, you know, you, you talk about like, so volatility was one of the problems you mentioned in that YouTube video where you kind of dissected some potential issues there. Um, do you see volatility as being something that could um, become less of an issue over time? I, I personally think so. I think it's much easier to manipulate and impact cryptocurrency markets when they're very small. And Nano, in the grand scheme of things, is, is very small, not even a billion-dollar market cap, right? Versus something like the U.S. dollar that has trillions and trillions of dollars in that, in that uh, financial system. It is very difficult for million dollars spending and receiving and paying for goods and services to affect the overall value of that currency, right? So it, it is a challenge, but I think in the short and medium term, doing direct conversion or immediate conversion kind of solves a lot of those issues for those who have that concern. But I think over time, 
as Nano's market cap adoption and use rose, it will stabilize a little bit more and become harder and harder to, or it, there'll be less and less fluctuation. And hopefully, again, the idea is that a circular economy in some places develops where there's enough people spending and receiving Nano for its benefits, like even as a pass-through like back-end value transfer system, um, that eventually a merchant and a, a payer or payee will, see, will say, hey, I'm going back and forth to Nano all the time anyways. This merchant accepts my Nano. Um, maybe in this case, I don't need to convert back. And then you kind of, you grow from there, right? And then the the fluctuation and the volatility matters a little bit less as more more people are in that kind of system. Yeah, that, that that's interesting. Um, I wanted to ask, so, um, you know, with Nano, there's no uh, new money being printed, right? So the supply, I think you've mentioned the number. I don't know it off the top of my, uh, off the top of my head. Um, actually, do, do you know what the number is? Yeah, 133, 133 million. Okay, so there's some like total number of units that is is fixed. It, it, it in theory it goes down if someone loses some nano, but you know in in practice that's that is the fixed cap. Unlike Bitcoin, which is still printing the new bitcoins and then sort of asymptotically approaching that 21 million units with nano, that's all already the way it is now. Now the the U.S. government, the Federal Reserve, uh, they don't behave at all. Uh, like nano, so there there is no uh, concept of you know like here's the total number of dollars and coins and it's fixed. Uh, instead, what they're doing is they're printing money and issuing bonds and all sorts of things. Um, what do you think uh, that does for the U.S. dollar? And you know, is there something that nano can learn from the U.S. dollar or vice versa um, from the perspective of you know being a good currency? Yeah, so this gets into interesting debates in the economic space, which I'm not well versed in. In the, I'm not well versed in economics, and I don't claim to be. Um, with inflationary versus non-inflationary currencies, right? With the the U.S. dollar, presumably they're printing to maintain some sort of um, stability and to to control for inflation and deflation, right? They set certain targets and they. Um, print money or issue bonds to reach those targets, right? Uh, Nano is, like you mentioned, completely set, completely fixed. No more can be printed. And some people bring that up as a, a criticism of Nano, right? It's a, if you have a fixed currency, presumably if demand uh, increases over time, the value increases, and there's worries that you could maybe go into like a, a deflationary spiral, right? Or, where people are just holding and holding because their nano the next day will be worth more, the next day it will be worth more, and they'll never spend, and then that could lead to a, a contraction in the economy, right? Um, less goods and services being sold, uh, less economic output, and uh, is monetary velocity, is that the word I'm looking for? Uh, I don't know exactly. I think that might be it. But um, Oh, sorry, you jump in. I, I'm, I'm not an expert in this either. I think it's, yeah, it's the velocity of money, I think is yeah, what I've heard. I think you're right. Something like that. Um, but yes, uh, I, I, I see what you're saying. So, you know, jumping around here back to our little discussion on Twitter, um, you know, David Gerard, he, he, he likes to be a bit of a troll, a bit of a comedian. Um, he, he's a part of the group on Twitter that likes to be a bit inflammatory. To be honest, I feel like Twitter just absolutely uh, incentivizes that, uh, <laughs> For sure. that attitude. So I think everyone is, is you know, def the default is to go towards inflammatory. Um, crazy sentence, whatever you can fit in 144 characters, right? Yeah. Or whatever it is. Um, but he immediately says, like, you know, nano isn't money. 
And oh. when you sent him something like $55, so he, he kind of, you know, offhandedly said, I'm not going to listen to the arguments from the nano folks without getting paid in advance. He set a rate. You paid him almost right away. And I think more than what he asked. Um, why do you feel that, you know, he, he was, you know, that dismissive that he wouldn't just, you know, um, do sort of what I did, which was, you know, take that five minutes to, to get that nano on his wallet. What do you think he was thinking? So if I remember back to some of the comments that he left after that, uh, part of his argument on nano not being money is related to it's, it's not accepted and spendable for him in, in a lot of areas. And for a lot of people, it's not widely accepted and it's currently it's counter traded. So people aren't really, they're not, um, paying for goods and services priced in nano. Like I'm not saying, I will do this podcast for one nano. People are saying, I will do this podcast for $1 or $10 or whatever it is, right? And they're just using nano maybe as the, the mechanism of transfer. And I think that was some of the arguments that David and some of the other people were making that a cryptocurrency that's counter-traded like that isn't really money because people aren't using it, money, using it as money. They're just using it as a medium of, of value transfer, a medium of exchange. And I think there is... Maybe a little bit of merit to that. It, I guess it comes down to what do you think is the, the definition of money or what is your definition of money? And does nano have those properties and or can it achieve those properties? For me, the aspects of money that I care about are like the visibility, durability, um, unit of account. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple of others, those, those big ones. Uh, um, and I don't think that counter trading makes something not money because there's actually a lot of currencies that are counter traded. Like it actually David's um, Twitter post is a perfect example of that. I believe he lives in the UK and his local currency is pound. That's right. And he was paid. Uh, I, I did the initial tip in nano that was rejected. And then someone actually paid him in us dollars on PayPal, but PayPal does conversion two euros to the local currency on his end. Potentially. And so nano would be used, and, and most people would say um, pounds are still a currency, right? Even though it's in this case kind of being counter traded against the dollar or vice versa. And so for me, counter trading itself does not make something money or not money. But it, again, we can argue within their definition of money. If their definition is that uh, a counter traded currency is not money, then he's correct. Nano is not money. And I don't contest that in, in that, given that framing. I mean, that's kind of like saying, you know, the Japanese yen isn't money in America, for example. Potentially. Yeah, um, I would agree with you on that. Or, or maybe then saying the U.S. dollar isn't money in Japan, right? So maybe there's some context there uh, about, you know, like, what are we talking about? Because if there are, let's say, uh, 100,000 people that accept a particular currency in some country, and then there's 100,000 people that accept nano all over the world, like, um, what, what, what exactly do you mean there? Um, one thing I wanted to ask is, um, you know, David uh, Gerard, he, he has uh, a very interesting position in the community. He's a skeptic. He, he writes books. He does a lot of, um, you know, poking fun, you know, in a kind of a comedic way. Um, uh, he has a book, you know, Attack of the 50-Foot Blockchain, which really tells you about kind of the silliness and the, the humor that he has when he talks about, you know, cryptocurrency. But, what, you, know, in, you know, what way could he have behaved? Or what do you think he should have done um, if he wasn't kind of locked into that 
uh, mentality? Like what, what, what could he have done? Um, or what would you have done if, if you were David and, and, and you, you know, received Nano for, for the first time on Twitter? Well, so in his case, I think he was operating perfectly within his rights to reject payment in, in a currency that he didn't want, right? If the, really all money is kind of a belief system, right? If, if I don't want U.S. dollars, well, I guess U.S. dollars here is legal tender, so I kind of have to accept it. But if I don't want to accept a, a certain currency, then I don't have to accept a certain currency. And I, I, for context, for the listeners who may not have seen that Twitter conversation, I was not the one requesting David to listen to this nano podcast. Uh, some uh, some other community member said, hey, I saw this pa- podcast and then called out David and some others to say, I suggest you listen to it. And then I think David at that point responded and saying, I'll do it for the consulting fee. And then I made my tip, which was really, I was doing it as a joke and demo. I had no expectation of him listening to it or anything like that. Um, but in, in any case, um, I personally, if if someone, so there is, let me pause and collect my thoughts. So David gets bombarded by legitimate and illegitimate cryptocurrencies all the time that want his time, right? They want him to review and to endorse and do all these things. And no one is obligated to research or spend their time or even really look at anything they don't want to. I personally, I try to when I, when I can and when it makes sense to look at everything that's presented to me. But realistically, there's just too much. There's some obvious scams. There's some stuff that just doesn't make sense and I can't get to. I would have liked to see him at least try Nano with a, a wallet because it, it's pretty quick and it's fun, fun, from, fun from a technology perspective. But I have no concerns with what he did. I am glad there are skeptics like him pushing back on the cryptocurrency space and Nano itself uh, as well. I think that's a, a valuable uh, contribution to really the world. We, we need skeptics and people who take a closer eye and question things on a deep level. And I, I don't agree with David on a lot of things. I do agree with him on some things, but I think we need those perspectives. Absolutely. And I, I feel that the nano community is very inviting of those perspectives. There's not this like hostility that you find that's typical in a lot of cryptocurrency communities. Um, so what, what, what I wanted to ask you as well is, um, you know, you mentioned that things aren't typically priced in nano. Uh, for starters, have, do, do you know of any things that are priced in nano at the moment? Uh, there was like a nano eBay site that sold goods directly for nano. But I, if I remember correctly, even then, in most cases, they did have the, the fiat equivalent, whatever the local currency was, so U.S. dollars in, in many cases. Uh, so no, I, I can't think of off the top of my head too many goods that are priced directly in nano. It's always the nano equivalent of the U.S. or the nano amount tied to the U.S. equivalent. So um, it, it, it appears to me like, you know, you've been in the nano game for a little while now and you've contributed and, you know, you hold some nano yourself. I'm, I'm guessing... Is Nano like sort of a, a large portion of, of your wealth or would you say it's kind of a, a, a very small portion? Like, for example, how much cash I have in my wallet or is it a little bit more like, you know, like 5, 10, 15 percent of assets? Uh, I, you don't have to get into anything yeah. too specific, but. Yeah, Nano is not the majority of my wealth. The majority of my wealth is in traditional 401k, S&P 500 index funds. Um, my fund money that has grown into more than fund money is in cryptocurrency and a few individual stocks, but the like my retirement funds, the bulk of my uh, long-term savings, that's all in traditional 401k index funds, Roth IRA kind of thing. 
Okay, so yeah, and that's kind of what I expected, given the way you talk about things. I didn't expect you to say, like, hey, I don't have a bank account. I don't do anything. It's only nano. Um, And uh, so it's interesting because, um, you know, for a little while, nano was like less than a dollar or about a dollar. And then all of a sudden, nano goes up to, you know, five, six, seven, ten dollars. Now, as you said before, a lot of things that you go online to spend with nano, they're not priced in nano, they're priced in dollars. So from, from that perspective, you know, all of a sudden you have a lot more buying power, like you have a lot more opportunity to, to spend. Um, how did that feel like? And, you know, did you, did you end up like buying more things? Did you end up um, contributing more, tipping more? Like, I feel that a part of the reason why you were so excited to tip me and David was because, um, you know, you felt that you had kind of come across a happy accident, you know, so, so to speak. Um, and you kind of wanted to share uh, that with others. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I love tipping on Twitter and you're right that the increase in buying power um, for Nano does lead to me tipping more because I have I have more to give. It's kind of fun to be able to tip in U.S. dollars versus tipping a few cents, right? And and Nano because of the the price increase. But um, overall, does it affect how I use Nano? Not really, because I'm very fortunate. Like my my daily life is taken care of. I have everything I need, uh, things that I want. I have a stable job. Um, I'm, I'm very comfortable. So I don't, I don't really have a need to chase short-term speculative investments. I can take, take my time researching something, put some funny money there and wait 10 years. I have that luxury, right? And a lot of people don't have that luxury, but, um, I I don't know if that answered your question exactly. I I don't know that it changed my behavior too much because again, I've been in the cryptocurrency space since 2013. I, I was buying Bitcoin at $200. Um, I was buying Ethereum at $14. Uh, IOTA, uh, like a, a, a bunch of cryptocurrencies, not just Nano. I, I like Monero. I follow Avalanche, Solana, Tezos, Cardano. Um, th- there's a lot of interesting technology and I don't know what's going to quote unquote win. So I like to watch everything. And um, do you know in terms of how many transactions are happening on the nano network, um, you know, putting aside spam attacks and any sort of like weird anomalous behavior, if we're talking strictly like the average day, what, what would you reckon is the number of transactions that are happening uh, on, the, on the nano network? Uh, on average, less than five transactions per second for sure, which would, I, I want to say that. So Bitcoin at seven transactions per second, that's like 500,000 a day. Um, Nano usually does less than that in, in terms of like normal real world daily usage currently. But for some context, and you may have seen my Twitter comment on this, people often think of transactions per second requirements as being absurdly high, even for traditional payment processors. But an example I like to point back to is PayPal. They, they first hit 100 million users in 2012. And the year before 2011, for that almost 100 million users, they were only doing around 57 transactions per second, right? So real-world usage is typically really low. Gotcha. So, um, so we're looking at like, like half a million maybe going on to a million transactions uh, per day. Is that right? I'd have to pull up the numbers. I don't, I don't want to lie and give you the wrong numbers. No, no not, not at all. I mean, and, and look, I'm not going to be uh, you know, angry if, if you don't perfectly remember <laughs> uh, off the top of your head these statistics. Just sort of for context, right? If, if we're a little bit off, it's okay. Um, yeah, five transactions per second. Just, you know, I'm just doing the 24 by 60 by 60 by five here. And 
And uh, the number I get is, you know, uh, 432,000. So I'm just okay. saying half a million. Gotcha. Um, I'd say there. between 100,000 and 500,000 maybe then, yeah, per day. Awesome. So, you know, it's fair to say, I mean, from your perspective, that the goal of what the nano community really wants is to get that adoption, right? Like more transactions, more people doing real economic activity, like actually I'm sending you nano because you're providing me a service or because it's a charitable donation or because there's some interaction there. It's not just I'm gambling and speculating between you and I, and we're trying to play a game of who can time the markets. Well, the goal here is to really have that, like, like you said, that closed loop of, of people, uh, in, in engaging with one another. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's fair. That, that's definitely the long-term vision. Okay. Um, so, and let me just take a second to kind of compose my thoughts here. Just, um, Hmm. So, um, one, one thing I wanted to ask you is, hmm. right now, Bitcoin still does half a million transactions per day, you know, 300,000, 400,000, sometimes half a million per day. It's complicated defining a Bitcoin transaction because, as you know, there are multiple inputs, multiple outputs. An exchange can do one transaction, but it's sending 50 people or 100 people their money. So sometimes when we say transaction, we don't mean what intuitively someone might think of as a transaction. Like in Venmo, it's person A sends to person B. In a lot of cryptocurrencies, there's a bit of that confusion there. Um, why is it that despite Nano being just so cheap, and so fast and not having these negative trade-offs of like, you know, damaging the environment, needlessly burning, whatever it is, even if you're, you're burning good energy, like clean energy, it seems wasteful to do that, even if it's not the worst form of energy. Yeah. Why is it that nano doesn't have, um, you know, 10 times or a hundred times of the transactions, uh, on a daily, you know, you know, day by day, uh, um, use case that, uh, you know, some, something like Bitcoin or Ethereum might have? Yeah, so for Bitcoin, Bitcoin was the first. It's been around the longest. It has the most trust. It's, it's kind of ossified. I hear that term in the Bitcoin community, um, meaning that the rules are mostly set in stone, right? There's some relatively minor changes like the taproot signaling happening. But for the most part, it's, it's pretty set. People know what to expect. It works as expected. It's proven the test of time. It's been attacked and it's still working, right? So that, that is valuable, um, and I do not discount that. That is probably some of the big reasons a lot of people have Bitcoin and will stay with Bitcoin because it, it's proven itself more or less, right? Maybe that changes in the future, but so far, um, that's the case. Nano is much younger. It was uh, created in 2015. Um, it's not as well known. It's much harder to get a hold of. It's still not on like the consumer-friendly exchanges like Coinbase and all those like easy mobile access. It's still, there's a lot of hoops to jump through to get to it. Um, people don't know about it. They don't trust it. It sounds too good to be at true, too good to be true at first. It's had challenges. It's, it's had spam attacks. Um, it's still actually the Nano Foundation, who are the primary developers behind Nano currently, does not consider it commercial ready in a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of cases. There's still changes and research being done. And um, that, I think all those things combined uh, come together to keep the, not keep, but 
that's probably part of the reason why Nano's usage and adoption is at the place it is now. If if all of a sudden Nano were to be on Coinbase and Cash App and um, Square and all these different payment processors, if they all accepted and allowed people to convert back and forth, um, and it was all around the world, then suddenly Nano would be really awesome for arbitrage or remittances or or whatever have you, assuming people found out about it. But it's not there yet. And then also a lot of people are are kind of beyond or past the Bitcoin nano style focus on digital cash, like store value and method of exchange. There's a lot of people that are pursuing um, different use cases, like the smart contract platform use cases and NFTs. I know you said you had a podcast episode about that. There, A lot of people are in that direction. That's not something I'm as excited about. I don't see as much real world benefit to those things. But Neither do I. <laughs> hey. Good company, yeah, but but a lot of people do right, and they're they're chasing those ideas, those technologies, the money making, the poten- the potential of making money, and um, I think that might be it. I mean, there's there's tons of reasons, yeah, <laughs> as many reasons as you want. We could probably give you. <laughs> so uh, so one thing that's interesting, you know, you talked about like Nano at one point hitting like something like thirty seven dollars, and then it goes down, and then recently there was a lot of price appreciation with Nano. Um, it seems like if Nano got the attention that a lot of people think that Nano would deserve, it, it, it would be not, um, how do I put this? It would be not, um, it would be logical to think that Nano could, could continue its price appreciation in the future if, if that adoption that um, you know, is there on a small level now, but it could all obviously get to a lot larger level in the future. You know, you have this completely fixed supply of, of, of coins. Um, do you reckon that it's possible for Nano to, to you know, grow and, and hit something like, you know, $100? Um, and again, I'm not saying this is investment advice. I'm, I'm asking yeah. kind of just from a technical kind of perspective. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't do price targets. I'm not a trader. I, I don't tell people to just buy money to, and it will make you rich uh, because I don't know. But in my mind, I think it, Nano will either do really well or it's going to fail. There's, there's not really, in the long term, there's not really room for in the middle. Because it, to me, it seems like Nano is a snowball rolling downhill. It has a lot of challenges up front, gaining adoption, uh, integration with different business platforms, consumer awareness, uh, merchant acceptance, um, even the security aspects, right? Like defeating spam consistently, um, being proven to be censorship resistant, all those things. It takes a long time to build up all those things and that trust and that stability. But then once you, you get down that path, you knock down one challenge, you knock down the next challenge, you knock down the next challenge, suddenly that, that snowball is rolling and getting bigger and bigger. And at some point, to me, it feels like it will have enough momentum that it, it will appreciate significantly because price comes down to um, supply versus demand, right? And nano supply is fixed, and presumably all those challenges being solved increases demand over time, right? More adoption, more interest. And because it has that underlying utility as a currency, hope in my view, right? Of course, there's all the challenges and criticisms on the other end. But uh, in my view, it having utility as a currency, a medium of exchange, and a store of value is kind of a positive feedback loop that makes it get better, which makes the price increase, which makes it get better, which drives developer interest, which drives consumer interest, which kind of keeps rolling that snow, snowball down the hill. So, you, I mean, you could do the basic math, the, the daydreaming math, right, where you look at Bitcoin's market cap or the top 10 cryptocurrency market cap, 
and divide that by Nano's market cap and then multiply, right? And you get the potential price appreciation for Nano. Um, and that comes up with some crazy numbers, even far beyond $100 per Nano. So I, I'm, I don't know. I, it could go either way. So, you know, I'm guessing that the Nano community, like any community of any kind, isn't, you know, one uh, uniform uh, point of view. So there, there must be a lot of people that are, you know, coming in from the more speculative side, um, from the more classic, like, you know, cryptocurrency, you know, number go up kind of philosophy there. Um, what percent of nano users in your mind, like by the amount of nano that they hold, do you reckon are sort of banking on or hoping for that, you know, that big moment where it goes from an experiment to something that, you know, we can say like, wow, that is an actual currency that's used globally, um, in a very meaningful way. So I, I can't make an educated, educated guess on percentage, um, at the end of the day, though, I think most of the people in the cryptocurrency space do want price appreciation, and that's probably what drew them to the space in the first place, nano or otherwise. But I don't think that goal is necessarily mutually exclusive with being used as a currency and having real-world utility and value. And in fact, I think they're complementary. Uh, the, the price appreciation and the speculative side can feed into and make the method of exchange uh, pieces better. Um, but yeah, that, that's a tough question for me to answer. I mean, everyone wants more money in their pocket, right? Even if it's a magical internet money. Absolutely. Um, okay, and so, um, and, and this is a hypothetical that I, I thought would be cool to ask. I'm not sure if you've ever been asked this, like this philosophical hypothetical question. But imagine if you could, um, with like a single line of code, without any uh, problems for Nano, you could make it totally match the price of, and let's just take US dollars, but I'll, I'll even leave it up to you. You want it to match it with like the price of gold or the price of a euro or like the price of a basket of really reliable uh, currencies. Do you think that would be better for Nano in the long run? Or do you find that the price appreciation, it's, it's, it's natural state um, has more positive trade-offs? Um, for which volatility is worth it. So, so are you saying like nano exists exactly as it does today, but now it's $100 per nano versus like $1 per nano? Or are you explicitly saying it's pegged to some other asset? Like whatever gold is, nano is. A great question. So like, I want you to imagine that today nano was a dollar. Like it just, for whatever reason, that's the price that nano was, right? Yeah. And then it just stayed at $1, uh, one US dollar. And you could change this up and say, imagine it was the price of one ounce of gold, and then it just stayed, you know, the price of one ounce of gold. Or you could take whatever, uh, you know, we're going to call it more stable currency or more stable asset. Um, is that something in your mind that would make Nano better in the long term? Would it help Nano, or would it have the uh, a bad side effect because now it's tied to something that itself has downsides that are are worrisome? Um, and so it's better to have some volatility to, for example, not have the tie to a currency that can be printed. Gotcha. Okay. So this question has, has come up in the past before in the forms of basically, shouldn't there be a stable coin version of nano? Like, should we take nano's technology, but peg it to the U S dollar? So one new nano is one U S dollar essentially. Right. And people, some people argue for that idea for some of the reasons you mentioned, 
But I think stable coins are a little bit tricky because you have to ask yourself, stable against what and, and how? Who, who owns that peg? Can they create more? Can they create less? Can they change the supply? Because that affects real users' buying power, right? Which, which buying power is, I think, what probably matters most. If the numbers change, but you can buy the same or more, people are probably more okay with that versus like a long-term inflationary stance where their buying power decreases over time, which there's also arguments for inflation and why people, uh, why governments go that direction. But like from a, a pure individual greed perspective, people typically want more buying power over time. So would, would Nano benefit from being pegged in that way? I don't think so, because I think when, as soon as you artificially peg something, you run into new issues that you don't foresee and have unexpected consequences. Like if we were to peg nano to the US dollar, for example, and there was some crazy scenario, uh, some hyperinflation scenario, suddenly your nano is also becoming worthless. And that kind of diminishes its value and use as a currency if it's hyperinflating right alongside the US dollar. so. To me, I think the free market, purely supply and demand currency like Nano, is it is beneficial that way, and it, it does come with downsides. But it also, I think, comes with some positives that you lose as soon as you do that exper- experiment you're talking about, pegging kind of thing. Okay, so there there would be some downsides. Um, now, the one upside would be that a lot of countries would prefer the U.S. dollar. Right, they don't have access to it because they're 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 they've been you know embargoed or there are some like legal reasons why their country is is trying to force them to maintain a particular currency. So you know, Nano is something you can download very easily. Uh, you can receive it, send it very easily. So if, if a Nano was one dollar, and I'm just using dollar as like you know as an example, I'm not saying that's the best uh, example. Um, then those people would essentially have this sort of um, you know quasi bank account with none of these restrictions. Um, now, um, obviously you're right. Like, the, like if the US dollar were to collapse, if there were some intrinsic problems to the way that this stability is achieved, um, this would be a downside um, in the long run for uh, nano holders. Um, one thing I wanted to ask is, you know, in the event that this, that nano takes off and a lot of uh, nano holders such as yourself um, whether they are like, you know, fully leveraged or just, you know, they're hobbyists that have, you know, one to 10% of their money in nano, um, um, they would essentially get a, a huge amount of, of money. They would, they would benefit from that price appreciation. Um, uh, the, the question that I would have there is where in your eyes does that money come from? So if, if, for example, if nano goes up, you know, tenfold, and all these people that are currently in Nano that have been in Nano for a while, now they can buy like a a, a, a fancy car or you know pay for a better apartment. Um, where does that money come from? So that's a question of relative valuations, right? Because if it's U.S. dollars that you're pricing Nano against, then the the money is basically coming from U.S. dollars, like people injecting dollars into the system and getting Nano in return, but the, the nano they have hasn't really changed. And depending on what currency they're buying or selling against, their purchasing power is different. So I, where does the money come from? 
yeah, I, I guess it would be fiat currencies, right? The, just the demand on nano. It's, I'm struggling to answer that question. Maybe, maybe I don't understand it correctly. Let, let, let me rephrase that question for you then, um, because it, it is complicated. These are kind of abstract terms we're talking about. So suppose, you know, you're, you're listening to this podcast or something that some your video from, from yours from a couple of years ago, and you say, you know, I'm going to take a hundred dollars of my us dollars and I'm going, or maybe I have a bicycle. I'm going to sell it for a hundred dollars and then I'm going to get some nano. And then later you have this huge price appreciation that comes from mass and, and adoption and wide, wide acceptance. And now that person who sold their, you know, their old bicycle for a hundred dollars, hundred dollar bicycle is not that great. Uh, now they have, you know, $5,000 in, in dollar terms of nano, which is the same amount of nano, but in dollars terms it has changed. Now they go and they buy a really fancy road bike. Um, the question is like, where does that person's wealth come from? The fact that they only had a, a, a shitty, you know, hundred dollar bike and now they have a really nice bike. Where does that wealth come from? Hmm. I still don't know if I can answer that question. I, I might not I might not just be processing it correctly, but to me it's just supply and demand. Like the someone wants a good and originally it was only $100 worth. That's how much nano they got for their $100. Down the line because of increased demand or or whatever else, now people want that same amount of nano for $5,000. But if the person with the nano never sells I, when you say where does their wealth come from it's it's really where does their buying power come from and it comes from demand for that currency for whatever reason speculative or for underlying utility reason so it, but the reason that the price has appreciated is because a lot more people with dollars now want nano and they're all competing for that same amount of nano right so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just might not be smart enough to answer that question, and, and I'll have to like sit and think through what you're really asking. I don't. I don't feel like I answered that satisfactorily. Uh, no, that's okay. I mean, this is a tough question. Um, uh, another way to ask this is, you know, like for example, if someone uh, gets in and gets some nano and spends a hundred U.S. dollars worth, we're just going to stick to U.S. dollars, and then later they have a thousand dollars worth, and then they decide to spend that nano right directly, and they get. A thousand U.S. dollars worth of goods, right? So now they have essentially nine hundred dollars more of goods from when they got in at Nano and then when they exited. Uh, but you can also do the reverse, right? So you know, if someone just happens to you know uh, buy Nano at a very high price and then um, the 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 price of Nano goes down, now they have a thousand dollars of Nano and the price goes down to a hundred, and so they've they've sort of lost some buying power. And the question that I'm asking is, where is the appreciation and depreciation of their buying power coming from? Um, and it's, it, isn't it's, it going it's, to and from the two currencies, right? Because you're giving up more dollars or getting more dollars, and giving up or getting more or less nano, right? It's 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 not really lost; it's converted. Yeah, I mean, what well, one way to think of it is is um. You know, if I buy $100 of Nano, I'm buying it from someone who has Nano. I give them $100. Later, when I want to spend Nano, um, I'm going to give someone that Nano, and then I'm going to receive in services or in U.S. dollars $1,000. The person on the other end is now buying $1,000 of Nano. Yeah. Um, 
Um, and, you know, they're hoping, I'm guessing, that the Nano appreciates so that they can sell it to the next person who will be willing to buy it for at least $1,000, right? And that way their buying power continues to grow. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, if you're talking if you're talking about like the greater fool theory, right? The speculative aspect of cryptocurrencies. Yeah, people are are buying it in hopes of it appreciating and then selling it for more. But they're the money is coming from fiat demand, like the U.S. dollars. It's only if no one wants Nano down the road, like you said, and it depreciates, then it's um, that's the natural consequence of a free market, right? It the price. It increases and decreases according to supply and demand. Absolutely. Or are you are you arguing that that that's essentially a like a, a zero sum game where for a nano holder to win, a fiat holder has to lose? Is that like the 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 reason for that question? Or uh, well, I, I, you know, my my you, you actually said it very well there. I mean, I, I'm curious. You know, for one nano holder to win. Um, do you think that another nano holder might have to lose, like might have to lose their uh, price appreciation, their value of nano? Yes, if they're playing the greater fool game to get more fiat currency. Like if people are getting into nano because they want more U.S. dollars, then I see that as a, a zero-sum game, right? Like I, I buy into nano and then someone else buys into nano and they're trying to sell the nano before i can sell my nano right and so that's where you get into that basically a ponzi scheme right of can i sell my nano to someone else for more us dollars because i want us dollars that that um concept is different for a currency that's actually trying to be used as a currency right because if when when my buying power in nano increases but i don't uh exchange it for fiat that money is still essentially that buying power is still in the nano system, and I'm exchanging it for goods and services instead of the U.S. dollar. It's it's like a a substitute good for the dollar. So, do you mean to say that, like, uh, if you're buying nano because you just want ten nano, then you're always going to have ten nano. You don't have to worry that it's going to be nine nano or twelve nano. It's exactly. always ten nano. It's going to have that fluctuation against U.S. dollars. Um, I I I, I want to prod you here. Do you think that anyone holds a currency? You know, I know we say things like, oh, I would love to have a million dollars. But I think when people have currency, what they really want to say in a deeper sense philosophically is, I want to have the buying power so that I may own a house, so that I could have a Ferrari, so that I could go to a nice, um, you know, uh, restaurant and take out my you know, wife or my girlfriend so I can send my kids to a good college, right? You know, in the future, that could be a million dollars, or it could be 10 million, right? The number is just what we say because we know what the U.S. dollar is worth, but what we really mean when we're getting into a currency, you know, when I tell you that I make, you know, I'm just hypothetical here, I make $55,000, and I'm happy with that. It's not the number 55,000. It's the power that I have to get an apartment, to own a car, to, to you know, you know, take out a girl on a date. That's what we're really talking about with, with money. And so, um, you know, you know, if someone's getting into nano from this sort of digital money perspective, what they want is at a minimum is sort of some guarantees about that buying power. But really what everyone wants is just more buying power. You know, wouldn't that be fair to say it's very rarely the units that people are after. 
Yes, but I don't think anything can guarantee you buying power, whether that's fiat currency or otherwise. Buying power fluctuates because it's a function of supply and demand, right? Like even U.S. currency, if you look at 10 years ago versus today, uh, you could buy a lot more 10 years ago for the same $55,000 salary than you can today, right? And so that's a function of the supply of the, the currency and the supply and demand of the, of the goods itself. So I, I, you're right. I don't think most people, most people don't care about the number per se. They care about the buying power. But I don't think there's a way you, you can't just say, I want $55,000 worth of buying power and expect that you get that just because someone's given you $55,000 absent of all the other variables in the, in the scenario, right? It, it's everything is connected together. Well, I mean, let's take that, right? So, every, you know, in, in a 10 year horizon, you know, the US dollar in terms of what it actually can buy has changed. I mean, both from the perspective that the world has changed. There were no iPhone 10s or whatever, you know, the latest iPhone is there. That didn't exist. So if you wanted something of that high quality, it, 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 I don't know if any money could have bought that 10 years ago. But at the same time, um, a, a jug of milk might have been $4, you know, 10 years ago, and now it's $5, right? Um, so things change. Uh, in, in your eyes, um, you know, the average person that has a bank account, let's just say that they're 30 years old, so they already have a job, they've, they've saved some money. Do you reckon they hold a lot of cash? Like they hold a lot of US dollars, um, you know, for like a period of 10 years? Uh, is that what you see they're, they're doing? Uh, I don't think so. Last I heard on statistics, at least in America, like maybe 40 to 60% don't have enough like liquid cash for like a $500 sudden expense. So to me, that indicates that most people aren't, sitting on cash they're either spending it there, there might be some minority that just strictly saves it uh, probably for short-term goal, goals like maybe a, a house a wedding a car or something like that uh, and then maybe the rest and all, maybe on the wealthier end of the spectrum they're investing for longer-term gains so i i don't think too many people are just sitting on it for speculation's sake because i mean that's honestly that's disincentivized if, if the currency is inflationary then you don't want to be sitting there holding that for extended periods of time. And I would have to agree with you. And if anything, like just noticing my own behavior and the behavior of people around me, people hold a lot of cash as debt. That is not cash that they hold in, in surplus, like in a positive sense, but in a negative sense. Like I have a line of credit. I'm 10,000 Canadian dollars in debt to that line of credit. I have student loans that are denominated in Canadian dollars. I have a mortgage. It's fixed in Canadian dollar terms. There's interest rates. Most people just don't hold that much cash, even yourself. Like, you're not going to sit around and just hold a ton of cash. You have your S&P 500 index stocks that are well protected in your retirement fund. I don't know American um, uh, tax uh, uh, stuff, but, uh, you know, it seems to me that uh, the utility of, of cash isn't really um, to hold it um, for a long time. It's, it's, it's to, to spend it. It's to use it. It's, it's there as a placeholder for when someone owes you some some labor, some time, some value. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think that should and does apply to cryptocurrencies as well. People choose to hold it as a speculative get-rich-quick scheme kind of thing. But really, the value and utility comes from the method of exchange piece. And I don't think people should be uh, sitting on cryptocurrencies for extended periods of time, I guess maybe as a hedge against inflation, for the sake of getting rich because it might not work. And that's, it, it's, it's kind of counterproductive 
it, it's a, a, a risk that you're taking on that it, it's so you people you can hold cryptocurrencies, but the the real world value I think comes more from their underlying utility for exchange. If you just have you, technically you could hold anything if you wanted to, right? You could choose to say I collect rocks for whatever reason, or I choose to collect Bitcoin, or I choose to collect Nano, but collecting things for collecting them sake for potential price appreciation, it it doesn't matter because that's not guaranteed. The the value comes from the utility, like what can you use those things for? And I think that's maybe what you're getting at, that currency should be spent and used and not held. But I think that that can apply to cryptocurrencies like Nano just as well. It it is a superior uh value transfer or like a finance backbone for its combination of properties. And, and that happens to give you some hedge against inflation and maybe speculative gains uh, over time as a, a demand increases and adoption increases. But the real value is in its utility for exchange. So, you know, here I really want to uh, kind of uh, narrow in into uh, the crux of of sort of the the philosophical, um, you know, um, what what's the word? The thought experiment. So let's pretend like we have this like wonderful group of a million or ten million people that see the value of nano. They're not here to speculate. They have they've never been on our cryptocurrency or any of the subreddits. You know, they're they're not on Twitter. They're just a group of people that want to use it for legitimate reasons. And let's let's call it a country. You know, let's just call it. You know. Uh, I don't want, I don't want to sound silly here, but we'll, 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 you know, we'll just take a, a country and we'll just, you know, Tanzania hypothetically. So Tanzania decides that it makes a lot of sense. Nano is fast. It's, it's, it's effective. It's not hurting the environment. It scales well. Um, it has all of these fantastic properties. People are using it for purely as a medium of exchange, just like I would use my cash, which is to say they're not holding on it for, for long. Um, as that country's GDP grows, as those people become more productive, as there are more people in Tanzania, right? As the population grows, most countries have population growth, immigration, that type of stuff. Um, naturally, what's going to happen is the price of nano is going to start to grow. I mean, and, and this is, is very hard to dispute, right? You have no, uh, you know, the supply is fixed. So if demand is growing based purely on economic activity, the price has to appreciate. And, and, and you agree with this point, right? Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Now, as the price appreciates, um, and let's say that at first it appreciates just, you know, 5, 10% per year. So it's matching the GDP growth. It's matching the growth of the population. It's matching a lot of these economic factors. Um, you know, people are going to look at that and say, wow, like nano is really, it's really stable and it's growing like really well. Um, so, you know, I want to hold nano, not just for that medium of exchange, I want to hold it because it's a great hedge, like you said, against inflation. Now, those new people entering, right, that's going to cause Nano to grow even more. Uh, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, you're, you're, that you're kind of describing like a deflationary spiral almost, right, where the more people that get into this limited supply currency are holding it because they think it will appreciate, which thus brings more people in who want to hold it because it will appreciate and so on and so forth. Yeah, exactly. And so... Uh, the, the problem is that, um, so, uh, as, the, as those people enter and the, and the issue here is that when you have a money 
that people don't speculate on, the velocity is very high. So a $10 bill, you can imagine, has seen so many hands in a single year. But once you have someone that comes in and starts speculating on a currency, all of a sudden the velocity just plummets like a rock because now it's being hodled. And so the, the, the result is that a person that is you know, constantly you know, receiving $100, spending $100, receiving $100, spending $100 has way less effect on the price than a single person that's just hodling $100 because that money is out of the system, right? And so, you know, from that perspective, speculators all, always inevitably have this incredibly powerful hold on, on that volatility. They have a huge impact on the volatility of a currency. And, I, and I, I'm guessing you, you, you can feel that, you can sense that, that the speculative nature, the speculative vibe, the hype does a lot to change the price of the currency. Again, that, that's in a non-circular economy scenario. That's when you're specifically looking at nano compared to a fiat currency. If the people of Tanzania are being paid in and paying in nano, then that effect is essentially gone, right? And then you have to look at the alternative, like the, the $10 of US, 10 US dollars. Um, the re one of the reasons that that's being spent uh, immediately is because of that inflationary aspect that, that you mentioned, right? There's, it, there's no reason to speculate on that and hold it because its value does decrease over time because supply increases and demand is more or less constant. Sorry, I want to push back here, but okay. even if Tanzania was like North Korea, which is to say completely closed off. And all you had was a slow-growing population that has more and more technology. They're more productive over time. Uh, they're, they're more resourceful. Um, that means the buying power of Nana, when we talk about like, you know, inflation or deflation, that is how uh, the money is priced against goods, right? It's kind of the reverse. We typically price things in money. Now we're pricing money in things. Um, in a fixed supply system, that... The, the, the value of nano in terms of what you can buy and do in Tanzania grows pretty rapidly. So if the population grew 10% and everything else was constant, oh, and you just have a 10% yeah. influx of people. Um, now, if you want to hire an engineer and there's just 10% more engineers, there's not enough money to pay an engineer 10 nano per hour. Now it's nine nano per hour. Next year, it's eight nano per hour. And as you can see, what's happening is that everyone is getting more buying power, a lot more buying power uh, over time. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying now. Yeah, and that does make sense, which if you personally are getting more buying power, people are probably okay with that. The flip side, though, that's a concern is probably like debts denominated in that currency that are essentially over time increasing in, in real buying power cost, right? And Say that one more time. So debt, I think part of what you might be getting at and one concern uh, with a limited supply set currency like Nano is debts denominated in that currency uh, in a scenario like yours where the population is growing and demand is increasing, but the supply is fixed. The buying power is increased, but then debts denominated in that currency are also effectively increasing over time. That's right. So, for example, one use case of money, a critical use case that you and I engage in with m most of the time, is the fact that most of our money is debt. Like, I have a credit card. I'm constantly in debt in, in the currency of my choice. Um, and so, you know, it becomes very hard to say, hey, uh, Patrick, I'm super stoked about your idea. Here's 100 nano. 
I want you to go for it and give me those big returns because, you know, the problem with you owing me 100 nano is that in a year from now, everyone's salary in nano terms is going to decrease. That is what a deflationary currency means. So it becomes harder and harder for you to actually give me those returns. And eventually it makes more sense to just not loan anyone uh, the currency. Right. There's fundamentally no reason for me to loan you nano. Well, uh, eventually you reach some sort of equilibrium or, or like at least a, a steady state of deflation because the like population growth or demand is uh, semi constant. Or if at some point when price appreciation, price appreciation reaches a certain level, people are more likely to sell for goods and services because they, they've reached whatever level it, that is for them that people will always buy and sell what they need to survive and, and even things that they want at some point, right? The, there's no point in a currency that you hold forever and never spin. Right. Uh, are you familiar by any chance with the lost decade of productivity in Japan? Uh, I think so. That like where the, the market basically flatlined or decreased for 10 plus years. Yeah. Do, do, do you know why that, that happened? Uh, no, I don't. Yeah, so it turns out that uh, there are currencies that have been studied that had the deflationary aspect to them, where money was uh, uh, had a, 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 a sizable increase in purchasing power over time, and Japan was one of those countries. And uh, before this uh, lost decade of productivity, Japan was considered a superpower equivalent to you know a lot of like very large countries like Germany and the United Kingdom. Um, and after this lost decade, it was a gigantic blow to the company uh, to the country and its growth because what happened was people didn't want to spend the money it made sense to be extremely conservative and as a result you couldn't get a loan you couldn't take those risks you couldn't uh you know get a credit card or or people were less you know were very hesitant to um provide any any of these of these features and the actual economic productivity um really flatlined um for a while but but should we be forcing um should we be forcing transactions for the sake of transactions should we be forcing people to spend their money because their money is going to be worth less or should because people will always naturally want or need goods and they're going to buy and uh sell the goods that they need right so do we really need to force people to spend i guess it depends on what your goals are like in in your scenario if your goal is economic growth in the sense of growing GDP, then yes, it does make sense that you want uh, inflationary currency and you want people to spend those dollars and not hold on to them. But for a, like a more sustainable economy, do we even need that? Do we want that? Well, and that's a great question. And you know, this comes back down to the nano community, which is what I can only describe as some of the most well-intentioned and open-minded people that I've stumbled across is people that really want to have a positive impact on the world. It's not just about, let's get the transactions per second up or the price needs to appreciate or whatever. It's like a bigger, it's a bigger cause. Um, and that's what a lot of young people are in, interested in. And, and it's, it's laudable. Like it's very, it's a, uh, it's, you know, we, we, sh we should applaud people who, who do that. Um, but you know, the problem is that economists are telling us that, you know, when we look at Japan and we look at this lost decade of, of productivity, the people suffered immensely from this. Like, you know, um, uh, and, and really what makes it great money is that people are not investing in it at all. You know, money is just a unit of account. Like, it's just a way to 
to think about things like, for example, my salary is this many dollars and my, you know, mortgage payments are this many dollars, but it's not for you to, you know, like a rap artist to sit on, you know, huge beds full of cash and think, okay, now I've made it. It's just a measuring tool. Um, if you catch what I'm saying. And yeah, so, so, um, and so the, the, you know, the, the issue here and, you know, this is, I, I you know, you know, in, in this conversation so far, I've, um, uh, um, you know, I've, I'm, I, I really haven't pushed on, you know, sort of the nano technical aspect because I think that nano and the community have a lot of things going for it. And I, and I think it's probably comfortable for me to say that the nano community and the nano folks are probably some of the le least scammy people in the space. Like if there's someone that I would say isn't a scammer, it would definitely be you. I would say this guy, he's not out to like hurt people. Um, especially when I compare the entire range of scammers all the way to, you know, Trayvon, uh, James, who, you know, was shilling BitConnect. You're on the opposite side there. The concern I have is that there is no tenable way, unfortunately, um, for this to work. And the, 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 the big thing here is that when people see it as an investment, which inevitably it will be because it has to appreciate even with just basic growth of anything, um, the result is that we have what economists, you know, you know, tell us, like beg us to avoid. And the result is, is awful. But here, here's the big problem right now. The problem is that there are people like yourself who are incredibly well-intentioned, like just clearly, you know, you're, you're trying to educate people, you're trying to help people. But what's inevitably going to happen is someone's going to take your words um, and look at it as an opportunity to make investment advice, not because you said, hey, go buy Nano, but because they're thinking, you know, what, what we talked about here, which is that if this really does work, it's going to explode. And one thing I want to hone in on is that if that person buys a bunch of Nano and then that Nano 10Xs and that person decides, you know, now is a great opportunity to buy that house, to buy that Lambo, that Ferrari, whatever it is, the, the only way they can get that is someone else needs to give them that value in exchange for that Nano with the hope that that appreciates. And the problem with the deflationary spiral, and this is critical, is that the number will go up faster and faster. And at a certain point, it can't continue to go up because, you know, uh, the amount of money entering in that particular, um, uh, you know, manic episode of excitement has simply decreased. And the result is the opposite, where now the, 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 the coin plummets and people want to get out. And so, again, that plummeting now is exacerbated by the fact that people are entering and exiting, right, in this manner, right? Again, they're entering when, th when times are good. No one's spending. The price is skyrocketing. And then there's a certain point where it starts to plummet and everyone's spending, right? Almost too much, like almost like frantically, you know, like they were in the Weimar Germany and they're spending and spending and spending and spending and the, 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 the value is plummeting quickly and you have these awful cycles back and forth. And what's worse is that the people that time it and do well in the situation have to profit from those that lose a lot of money. And it's not intuitive. This conversation that we're having now is not something that someone's going to figure out just by looking at a nano white paper in 15 minutes. This is going to be, you know, for me, this is years of thinking about this space. But what, what's happening here, and I have to reiterate that you, 
in everything I hear from people talking about you, from the way people, people look at you, from what your words, that, from your videos, you are a pretty great guy. I, I, I don't see anyone that, you know, talks about you like this guy's, he's a shill, he's a scammer, he's, <laughs> he's just, no, no one would say that. You know, people are so thankful for your content and you are clearly smart. I mean, very smart. Um, uh, a challenge in crypto is that you have to be smart in all these different fields, like, you know, you know, c computer science and math and economics and uh, macroeconomics and uh, government policy and regulation. And no one can be smart in everything, yeah. right? It's, 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 it's too difficult. The big problem right now is that people in cryptocurrency and, you know, even with the least scammy thing, which we'll just, we'll just label Nano as the least scammy cryptocurrency, people are getting involved in it exactly the way that you described in your BitConnect episode in 2017, which is there's an unrealistic and extremely high expectation of reward. There's a lot of excitement. New money comes in. That new money goes to old money that had Nano before the hype. And then those people get burned really, really hard. Isn't that the same with even traditional investments? They work essentially the same way. And that's a wonderful question. So let's take Amazon stock. So wouldn't it be the same if I bought Amazon at $1,000 and then it drops to $500? is not it fair to say that it's like a Ponzi that I've uh, essentially, um, I bought it from one guy who got, got 1000 bucks, and now I'm giving it to another guy. I'm only getting 500 And that guy who buys it at 500 sells it at 2000 He's sort of selling it to the next sucker. But here's where it's different. And this also is not trivial. It's actually quite a, you know, quite a bit of thinking here. Amazon, uh, the, the stock of Amazon is tied to the, sell, the, the sales, the revenue of Amazon. So what that means is that when Amazon sells me a product online and I'm buying you know, a book, I'm buying uh, this fan you know, behind me, right? I'm spending money with no speculative intent. I'm just, I need a fan. It's very hot right now. You know what that's like. It's very hot. I bought a fan on Amazon. Some piece of that money goes to the profit of Amazon, right? There's costs and all that, but there's some profit at the end. That profit belongs to the shareholders. And what does that look like? Sometimes it looks like a dividend. So when you hold a stock, you're sitting on that stock. It could be like, I have bonds, for example. They don't, they're not volatile at all. They just pay dividends. Their $10 bond, maybe it goes up a little, down a little, but every month it's just a little bit of dividends, right? That could be Amazon. And if it's not a dividend, it could be Amazon, the company taking that money and buying back their shares from people who have shares, right? So they have more control of the future expected money. And the important thing here is that with Amazon and with this model, everyone can win. It's actually a very fascinating uh, observation that when you buy an Amazon stock, everyone can win. And there will be losers, that, not to say that there are no losers, but that fundamentally, Amazon did an amazing thing by providing this service. Tons of people enjoy the service. And when you hold Amazon stock, on average, you win because you're part of that productivity. Something was created by you encouraging that. And if we broaden out to the S&P 500, which is what you did, and that's an excellent thing to do because we don't know if Amazon is doing it the best way. Amazon did well the last few years. Who knows if, if it goes in, in the wrong direction. Overall, stocks, for example, are highly productive. And there's an expectation of, you know, 9 or 10% growth. And that comes from that intrinsic value of, you know, you know producing something. You know, McDonald's yeah. is feeding people. 
uh, Zoom is creating these phone calls. Amazon is letting people buy fans online. If, if I can here, interject real quick. So of course. You, you say the value is tied to the production of something, but to me, it seems more it, it's tied to the utility that they're bringing to the world and that can be producing, but it could be goods and service, or like services too instead of producing something. Does that concept not apply also to currency in a similar way? Like the, the act of being able to have a durable, divisible unit of account that you can measure buying power against seems like it has utility and benefits that are, that lead to and are probably worthy of some form of demand. Yes, except that's why there's monetary theory, which again, I was not aware of until I had smart, you know, people with master's degrees in economics essentially tell me and explain how, you know, macroeconomic uh, policy works, how the Fed actually makes decisions. The Fed makes decisions to keep this currency stable when there's an increase in demand they'll inject money into the supply, right, to make sure that in, that target interest rate of 2% of inflation of 2% is achieved. When there's a slowdown in the economy, right, so for example, when COVID struck, there was a slowdown in the economy, people were spending less, and so the value of money was almost deflationary because people hodled money, right? It's like, yeah. oh, you know, I'm at, I'm at home, I'm not going to go buy beers, I'm not going to go to the bar, I'm not going to do all these things, you know, I don't need to get a haircut, I'm not going to see anyone anytime soon. Money was slowing down, the Fed printed money, that kind of rebounded that inflation back to those healthy levels. Um, you don't have that with almost any cryptocurrency. Um, and, it, it, and by the way, it doesn't matter. Like, let's say you take Bitcoin and you say, well, Bitcoin has some inflation. Doesn't that solve it? Not at all. Unfortunately, Bitcoin's fixed form of inflation, which is to say that it's always, you know, going to have and it's always like this many Bitcoins per block and then it halves every four years. That has the same problem because human beings are not uh, you know, gonna you know uh, align with that cycle. They're sure. they're gonna yeah. they're gonna have moments of COVID where things slow down and, and moments where things speed up. And so here's the big the big you know uh, the big uh, point I want to um uh, to to bring you in on here. I think that your intentions here are clearly good. Um, you you want to help people, and I think that everyone in the nano community listening to this conversation, and I hope I've been you know fair to the nano community. Oh, sure. um, what wants to do good overall. Um, and it does not mean that just because we have this conversation that the result is, hey guys, let's abandon nano. This was all terrible. This was the, an awful mistake. Not at all. In science, the fact that you had a theory and that you pivoted and that you changed and that you built something else saying, hey, we were working on nano and then in the future we tried some other things and, and, and we learned so much from that experience that's something that we should applaud from each other, right? Um, I was just like you in a, in a different, you know, cryptocurrency setting, um, which, you know, I had certain uh, uh, opinions and I had to make that pivot. And at first it feels incredibly weird. Like, you know, can I still be friends with a lot of these people? Like, does it look silly that I had a view here and then I changed? And the reality is it's kind of like getting divorced. You know, people <laughs> like look at you and they're like, oh, that's so crazy, you got divorced. But after like a, a month, you know, you're like, oh, I'm happier. You know, oh, I'm dating. Oh, like I, I'm, I'm not in this awful, bad situation that I wasn't in, in the past. And people just look at it like, yeah, he's now remarried and he's happy, and there's no reason to, you know, to, 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 to fault a person for the fact that when they were 25 or 30, they said that they're going to marry someone for the rest of their life. The issue right now in cryptocurrency, um, you know, is that everyone is engaging in these 
pump and dump, speculative Ponzi-like things. You talked about it in 2017 with BitConnect, but the reality is that it's true for Bitcoin, it's true for Litecoin, it's true for Bitcoin Cash, it's true for almost everything. But unfortunately, as much as this pains me to say it, it's also probably true for Nano. Um, and it's not because Nano doesn't scale well or because the community isn't nice enough. Uh, everything is there. The community is great. Um, it's because there are fundamental things that we're reinventing in economics for which, you know, history has already taught us that doesn't work. And the concern that I have, and this is where I want these conversations to go somewhere, is that I want to be able to talk to someone like you and say, you know, Patrick, what you've done is super valuable. And what you can do from here on out with me, with my help, you know, like we're, we're both in this together in, you know, in different contexts is we can do the honest thing and tell people and say, hey, you know what? Um, I am super dedicated to helping people with problems for like international money transfer. And I don't think it's right what's happening in Venezuela. I don't think censorship is okay. And I, I don't think, you know, journalists should be killed in China. I think we should be able to support those journalists financially and, and, and anonymously. I'm for all of these positive things. But buying crypto isn't the right way. Buying cryptocurrency in, in, a most, in almost every context is a bad idea. And if anything, if you don't in actively need crypto right now for something like clear, you should stay very far away from cryptocurrency because the reality is that a lot of people are just getting burned really hard. Gotcha. You made some really good points. I want to inj inject on your... Uh, thought experiment, and you kind of touched on this. Would you say this? Would you come to the same conclusion using cryptocurrency ex almost exclusively as payment rails? Like you do go, you you keep your fiat currencies, right? You're with whatever monetary policy you think uh, maximizes those those outcomes that you're looking for, and then you you exchange for a cryptocurrency like Nano or any other cryptocurrency to do the the transfer piece, right? to send to Venezuela or whoever in the world and convert back on that, that far end, do you think there's any value in that use case outside of using Nano as your sole like national currency? And that's a great question. So it turns out, you know, people say, oh, we're in the infancy in crypto, but that's not true. The, the use case that you just described is perfectly mapped with Silk Road in 2011. And what, what was happening there is that there's an active drug war in the United States and it prevents people from using marijuana, as an example, which is a, a almost entirely well understood to be a harmless drug for the most part, uh, especially when we compare it to tobacco and, and alcohol. And what people realize is that if we had a cash that was digital, but behaved like cash, meaning, hey, Patrick, here's $5. You take it from me. That's it. No need for me to ID you. There's no, there's no history of this, of this uh, interaction. It can be all anonymous. Um, we can essentially buy drugs on the internet and have those drugs delivered to your door. And that is completely non-speculative, right? A lot of those people in the early days, if you ever talk to a Bitcoiner from 2011 who only used Bitcoin because he wanted to buy marijuana in 2011 or 2012, they will tell you that it's almost hilarious that anyone thinks it's an investment because from their perspective, it's like buying Chuck E. Cheese tokens. They were buying it because they wanted to have a good time and then they got their marijuana and they're having a good time. So for, from their perspective, if Bitcoin goes up or down, that's just a weird coincidence. Um, and if anything, it gets entirely in the way of, of, of the real use case there. Um, so to answer your question, yeah, that is the uh, use case. That's the, arguably the only use case is censorship-resistant financial instruments of last resort.
And that's the thesis I have. Last what, resort. Not being, even payment rails? Not even like to save mer- on payment processor costs in the background with exchange I mean, on both ends? Well, well, let's talk about it, right? So the biggest problem. So the reason why someone like David is going to struggle to take the Nano isn't because of any of the, you know, cryptocurrency things like, oh, Nano isn't cool or doesn't scale or it's not decentralized. It's because if he accepts Nano, now he has to, in order to pay his bills, in order to do the balance sheet, he has to now go through some offshore or weird exchange, convert it into likely Bitcoin first and then into US dollars second or, well, or pounds. Uh, I'm not even space. talking about that, that, that current situation. I'm talking about like the idealized future vision where he can immediately go from nano to pounds, for example, as local currency directly. It, yes. So, in, But the problem there is that he has to do it almost instantly and he needs to pay the fee to change between those currencies. And because the currencies are so volatile, um, in order to actually get a good amount of privacy and censorship resistance in that exchange process, you're looking at a fee of about 10%. And that's the big problem. I think like even LN Strike, uh, the the lightning payment processor that they're on Twitter all the time, I think they're uh, using a zero, well, if they make money in other ways, but a zero fee exchange process, right? Where you go from Bitcoin to... Uh, or from U- U.S. dollars or your fiat currency to to Bitcoin for zero upfront fee with as small of slippage as they can get. And over time, it seems like we're getting more and more exchanges like that, which are commoditizing that gateway slash exchange process and driving down fees. So it seems like in theory, in the idealized future, you can have gateways on both ends of the transactions with minimal lower than current payment processor fees, 0.1% or whatever it is, with minimal slippage on both sides and use cryptocurrency, a cryptocurrency like Nano as payment rails for instant settlement with no in-protocol fees. So the interesting thing there is that you have to ask, why is it that incumbent solutions aren't as cheap as the, 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 the solution you're proposing? Or how cheap could your solution get? And the yeah. answer is, incumbent solutions are exactly what you describe, and Western Union is the cost you're gonna expect, and Nano isn't gonna make it better it, with only one exception, and there's one very important exception. The exception is when Western Union can't work. In other words, when Western Union is illegal for a particular transaction, that is where censorship resistance is required in your exchange. And that's where it makes a lot of sense to actually, excuse me, and that's where it makes a lot of sense to actually um, use uh, any cryptocurrency, right? I mean, why are people using Bitcoin on the Silk Road and not MasterCard? Because it's illegal to use MasterCard. MasterCard would have been way nicer for everyone, but they can't. And so the reality is that the only thing that's left is censorship-resistant financial use cases of last resort. People who really have nothing else, likely in situations where there's some reason why it's illegal what they're doing. And in a lot of cases, you have you know what could be considered an obvious black market. A lot of these are gray markets. For example, buying marijuana in the United States, to me, I don't constitute that as an immoral behavior. In, in 2011, I don't think you should go to prison for it. I would not um, uh, you know, uh, say a bad thing about a person who used Bitcoin to do that. I think that is exactly the right use case there. But the use case is incredibly narrow. And here's the problem right now. What we're being sold is that the use case can be so much bigger that we can replace Western Union or whatever. There are two problems here. Number one, Western Union falls within the laws right? Cryptocurrency doesn't even have clear regulations yet. But when regulations come in, 
right? All of these people that are working in between, they're going to have the costs of KYCing you, meaning, oh, we got to have a professional guy who's making $100,000 a year, who's scanning your passports, like looking at a database, tracking the funds, all of this stuff. All that's going to happen is that Nano is going to fall right back into everything that Western Union does. You know, Western Union would look at Nano as just another currency. Western Union knows about the yen, the, the yuan, the euro, the pound, the US dollar. Now they have this new thing called the Nano. But here's the difference. When Western Union deals with Nano, they're going to have an additional problem, which is that it's one of these currencies which encourages, not even by the community, by its basic property, by its cryptocurrency nature, encourages speculation and therefore has these insane increases and decreases in price in very short time horizons. And that acts against them. That makes their business harder. Because now if they're brokering a deal where they're quickly exchanging currencies, right, there's a loss to them if Nano plummets and they're holding Nano. Or if Nano appreciates and they just stopped holding Nano. And as a result, Nano would be the more expensive option in this case, even if it were somehow still to be allowed to be used legally. The problem, of course, with governments allowing it to be used legally is that you know, Nano, and Nano, I don't think is even really responsible for this. A lot of cryptocurrencies like Ethereum, like Ether, like Bitcoin are being used right now um, in, in a BitConnect sense. People are committing these scams, these frauds, collecting Bitcoins, shuffling that Bitcoin around, doing obfuscation tactics, moving it across unregulated exchanges and trying to cash out. And that's what the use case really is. And that's what all the forensics shows, and I, I should have mentioned this earlier, but I'm in Bitcoin privacy and forensics. Um, you know, I don't hold almost, you know, any Bitcoin, just full disclosure there. Um, but I work in that, in that space and I can tell you what we really see when we look at forensics of, of, uh, of the analytics on what's happening on the blockchain. And I haven't studied nano because it's, it's not as big in terms of the financial traction there, but we don't see a lot of the behavior that I would have wanted to see, which is actual people interacting. What we see instead is a lot of behavior of speculation, of trading, of, you know, last resort finance. And it's, it's incredibly harmful. It's incredibly, incredibly harmful. And that harm, it's not a little bit, it's a devastating amount of harm. And the, the important thing here, and this is for the entire nano community, almost everyone in the nano community did not want this. There's no way that you or any, or myself or anyone else saw cryptocurrency and said, I can't wait for this to be a massive Ponzi scheme that hurts people. There's no way. We all came into this, at least the ones that had a good, you know, well-intentioned um, attitude. We all came with these good intentions and it's very upsetting what's, what's happening. And the important thing here is that intent does not matter, unfortunately. You know, if I, you know, you've, you've heard this a lot, right? Like Haiti is a good example. When the West says, oh, we have good intentions for Haiti, we're going to help, we're going to make things right, it doesn't always work out that way. And sometimes couching your behavior in good intentions, unfortunately, there, get, there gets to be a point where if we don't want this to look uh, on us as incriminating, we have to be honest about the, the, the actual outcomes here. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's definitely not, not a fun thing to... Um, to, to, to get to, but it's, it's fundamentally unsustainable, um, what, what, what we see right now. Um, as an example, my brother, who touched crypto for like a few weeks back in 2017, he actually, coincidentally, bought Nano. At the time, it had a different name. Who cares about that? 
he bought it back then and he lost almost everything buying it. And I'm not saying he didn't put a lot of money. He put a very small amount of money, but I'm saying that what he put in, he lost almost everything. And you know, that's what's happening. And so right now, as you're observing a lot of talk about nano, a lot of excitement, a lot of price appreciation, what you're really observing is a lot of people, young people, people that buy Doge and Shiba token, which is kind of a scary group of people. I think you and I can agree on. Those are people running in, giving their cash, often to OG nano people who have good intentions. And it's just a big redistribution effect for something that unfortunately, it doesn't appear has a sustainable way of, you know, realizing the good intentions that it has. Gotcha. That's a, that's a very good argument. It gives me a lot to, to think about. I'll have to go, go back and do some reading like on the last decade that you mentioned and, and uh, the various monetary policies and see the expected and unexpected consequences of a system like, like Nano, like you're talking about. I'm, obviously, I'm going to have to take this all in, synthesize, come to my own conclusions. Um, but I'm at, currently, I'm not convinced that there is, it, it, to me, it, and okay, now we're going into in the feelings territory, right? And uh, obviously, I just have to go back and do my research on this. And I, I love this conversation, by the way. You said it's a hard thing, but no, I, I love, this is good stuff. Awesome. Um, <laughs> but so it, it feels to me that the having that the certain set of properties that Nano has, the, like the feeless instant, um, the the whatever combination of, of properties we're talking about, it and maybe it's because I don't know the existing payment processor space, but it seems like the costs can be driven lower because they are currently being driven lower, mostly for Bitcoin right now and that, that those exchanges. But it seems to me that. Uh, cryptocurrencies as a financial backbone, as a, a medium of exchange and not so much on the speculative side of hold forever, even though that may be a natural partial byproduct, um, it seems like that can bring some efficiencies to financial markets and global like financial settlement. And when I, when I think about that concept in the long-term vision, maybe not the current state, but like the idealized state where you can instantly convert back and forth, blah, 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 and all those things. And you have those checks in place with minimal fees. Uh, it seems like that does bring meaningful real world value that can be passed on to consumers. And yes, I, I agree that there are and can be a lot of negative consequences. I mean, social media is potentially a good example. It arguably wasn't brought on to directly cause negative consequences, but here we are with a lot of misinformation and crazy stuff. So and that that concept applies to crypto and and nano like you like you kind of mentioned, but it seems I guess you you almost have to do a cost benefit analysis and see if those those benefits or potential benefits meaningfully outweigh the harms. And and and, and sorry, Patrick, oh, um, I'm just oh, going to yeah. cut in here because there's you made you made an you, know, you had an excellent question about um you know it's feeless there must be some benefit there but. I want you to think about, you know, like Venmo as an example. So when we, when we look at just the United States, Venmo is free. Venmo is free, instant, and it's private. I think they just started charging fees. Right, so right. They're about to. Or they're but, about to. But, but an interesting thing not is not that it. most banks that, like, for example, in my, in my case, you know, when I use my credit card, um, apart from, you know, being late on payments, um, but that is a free transaction. 
when I use my debit card, it's mostly free. When I e-transfer, is, in- is it really free? Because the don't the merchants still have to pay the the payment processor fees, the one to three percent or whatever it is? A- absolutely. So you're right. There 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 are fees and there are costs. But one thing to appreciate about where these fees and costs come from is they're rarely technical problems. They're problems in regulation. That's where the fees come gotcha. from. And I the see. problem there is that Nano and Bitcoin, like Bitcoin, does great because it doesn't need to pay the fees of the regulations because it's essentially existing outside of the law. There's a worth- So in your argument, Nano, even as a backbone, is eventually going to run up against those same regulations, which therefore increase costs, and then you have the fees at the entry and exit points, theoretically. Right? Totally. And so- you know, to be totally frank, I think it would be great if Nano was the original Bitcoin. Like if Bitcoin launched as the Nano that we know today, probably be better. You know, better. Like it's, it's faster. It's- it's it's not hurting the environment. Uh, it was more fairly distributed. I heard that you guys had a captcha system where people could get a, out of a faucet like free nano. That's awesome. That's so cool compared to all of the 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 you know messed up ways that we see in crypto of how like founders are you know just completely um uh you know doing all sorts of just but but anyways um th- that's great. But nano is 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 winning on regulatory arbitrage, and that's the word there essentially being able to skirt regulations and and make money off of that uh, uh, regulatory arbitrage. And this brings me to an interesting point here, because this regulatory arbitrage looks like it's coming to an end pretty soon um, with new regulations from the United States. Uh, you know, uh, we, we saw some some motions right now to heavily regulate cryptocurrency, which will make um, th- uh, those uh, expenses much, much, much higher, right? And all of a sudden, um, what we're going to find is that nano is just an equivalent, um, you know, cost use case, right? I mean, right now, if you want to send someone money to Venezuela, uh, you could use Bitcoin. And let me just break that down for you. So if you're concerned of your safety, you cannot use a regulated exchange and give your identification and send that Bitcoin from there. So instead, what I recommend is peer-to-peer or using an ATM. An ATM will charge you 8, 10, or 12%, and peer-to-peer, if you can time it, it'll take some time. You'll have to find the person. You'll probably lose 2% or 3%. It's a bit cheaper, but you can do it. Then you need to send it to the person in Venezuela. And again, there are Bitcoin fees, you know, whatever that might be. And then when the person receives it on the other end, again, they have to find a person who's essentially what we call a runner. They're like on the streets, like running and like giving cash and exchanging it. And they're going to lose another 10% as well. Um, and so the fees in between are actually quite negligible compared to the actual fees of remaining in this regulatory arbitrage. And that's, that's the struggle. Um, right now, the DOJ, the FBI, the IRS, the New York Attorney General, uh, like five states now have, have issued cease and desist, desist letters to BlockFi. All of these regulations are coming in. The worry here is that it's, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't look good for us. For me, you know, it's tough for me to, to you know, I was, I was a Bitcoin maximalist. Um, that was actually the last Thing that I was, I, I, I you know, I, uh, I, you know, I had to admit that you know the Bitcoin utility is much smaller than my uh, initial excitement had suggested. Um, you know, there is still utility. This is a- another thing I want to really get across to people working in Nano is that your skills are very useful because if we remind ourselves the original utility that was discovered almost instantly with Bitcoin is that when the government does something incredibly immoral like uh, you know, commit a drug war against the people and uh, essentially put a lot of people um, in prison. And it's not average people. It's not completely 
honestly distributed against the population. It's disproportionately uh, uh, groups of people. Um, and I think we all know exactly what is going on there. And that isn't okay. That's incredibly immoral. And we should not stand for one minute against this level of, you know, the government just, just using its powers to, um, to, you know, come down hard on these people. Um, it's, it's, it, you know, it's unfortunate. And in that case, we can say cryptocurrency is a censorship-resistant financial instrument of last resort, meaning that when everything else doesn't work, you can use that. Um, and we should applaud that last resort mechanism. Um, but, uh, you know, in every other case, you know, store of value, like savings, those things are, are, are not really, you know, backed by, um, by, by the data or by what's, what's going on. Gotcha. A very interesting perspective. It's interesting to hear. Uh, do you, are you familiar with specifically what regulations are here or coming? Because to me, what I've read so far seems mostly around the KYC space. I know there were some rumblings that uh, like node operation and mining would be impacted, but I saw, I think just today, um, some potential tweaks that look like it is focusing on exchanges or at least theoretically. But from the nano perspective, it seems like the main regulatory impact is that KYC onboarding and offboarding process, which we mostly have already on the exchanges where you can buy nano. So I'm, I'm curious if you see any if, if that's the regulatory impact and potential cost drivers of exchanging nano that you see, or is there some other kinds of regulations that will uh, disproportionately increase the cost for uh, nano exchanging and nano operation? That, that's a great question. So the interesting thing that you mentioned there is that, you know, like nano already has this KYC, the exchanges already have the KYC, so it wouldn't hurt nano. And that's possibly true, but that's because nano actually isn't fulfilling its role as censorship resistant money. And so you're caught between a rock and a hard place where uh, it can't honestly be used to help Venezuelans if downloading the Natrium wallet in Venezuela requires KYC AML. Um, that person's life is at risk. And US dollar cash is way better than Nano in that case for no other reason. Put everything else aside than the fact that the government can, can spy on you. And unfortunately, I yeah. did I did work for a forensics company briefly, and I am in the privacy space, and, and I, I do spy on forensics companies, you know, full disclosure, you know, I, I think a lot of them are bad actors, these forensics companies, uh, for two reasons. One, they're not good at their job, so they point to non-criminals and call them criminal. And number two is they often co cooperate with law enforcement for uh, the worst possible reasons, namely to perpetuate the, the, the war on drugs. Um, and, and, and to engage in that behavior. And so I don't think the, the forensics companies are in, in any way doing, doing good. And what they're not concerned with is like tax fraud and money laundering and bank fraud. So, you know, um, w w which is actually, you know, a, a, a pretty uh, uh, big concern. So, um, <clears throat> you know, Patrick, uh, um, so if, been... if I could just summarize, because I feel like we're getting to the end, maybe that's where you were, you were headed. Uh, so if, if I could summarize your arguments against cryptocurrency or, or nano, or maybe not all your arguments, but your, your main concerns are specifically that deflationary or the deflationary pressures on cryptocurrency leading to uh, crazy volatility, speculate, uh, hyper speculation, and potentially uh, deflationary spirals over time, which meaningfully potentially impacts the population. And the regulatory risks or the regulatory 
rules and guidelines that must or should accompany almost any financial instrument or, or service that therefore increase the cost of something like nano to essentially similar cost of traditional uh, financial systems. Therefore, meaning that there's, in most cases, outside of the, um, oh, uh, the regulatory escape scenario that you're talking about where you're trying to get around the rules, uh, the, the cost and benefit of using nano basically mirrors traditional finance anyways. Did I capture your? You know, I think I think I think you did an excellent job. I mean, really, it comes down to the fact that you know it's unsustainable. Um, there's a, a a lack of utility that isn't in that regulatory black or gray market, and that as soon as you do see adoption or you do see any uh, people getting excited, what inevitably happens is pump and dump. And you know, this isn't something that I'm saying like speculation in the future. I'm just looking at like, I mean, again, I hate to pick on Nano because there's no need to pick on Nano. Nano is the probably much less oh, scammy go, go ahead, pick, than, pick than any it. other <laughs> other coin. But N Nano is an example of a coin that, you know, launches, you know, it goes up a thousand X and then it plummets like losing 98% of its value in six months. And what that means is that a lot of people, you know, flooded their money in, lost almost everything. Um, and in a lot of instances, when people lose so much money, the result the real result there is, you know, it's it's suicide, it's depression, it's you know, marriages disproportionately uh, go to divorce where uh, when uh, because of financial reasons. So you have all yep. of these negative things that Nano, if we're going to be honest, um, has done a lot less harm. Ironically, because it's been used less. If Nano was the number three cryptocurrency right now, like Hex, which is the dumbest, you know, obvious Ponzi scam by the a fraudster who should face life in prison, Richard Hart. Uh, may he rest in hell, wherever he's going. Um, and I, and, you know, you know, and I, again, that that is an obvious scam, and it's very bit connected in its nature. Um, Nano has done a lot less harm because it hasn't, you know, attracted as much attention and raised as much money. But nevertheless, um, the story of people like my brother is what becomes the tangible effect of Nano, and so. You know, to respond to the people on Twitter who are are really nice and open minded, um, when they ask like, "Why are you dismissive of Nano?" or "Why are you concerned with Nano?" Um, I think this conversation, you know, really captures that. Um, and um, I think the challenge as well is because we talk about it comparing to Bitcoin, uh, it's important that my conversation with you isn't, "Hey, Nano guys, buy Bitcoin." Not at all. It's, "Hey, Nano guys, listen." The, the purchasing of cryptocurrency with almost no exception, and I'm just going to say no exception just to keep it safe, um, is, is a really dangerous thing and we should discourage people from doing it. We should still experiment and learn and code and build, but um, you know, we should treat it like Dogecoin in 2015 you know, or whatever, like when it's, it's just for fun. And the moment people, like unfortunately, the moment people, people like Vitalik, he put like 25 grand into Dogecoin and it's apparently it's his best investment move of his life, but that's awful. Because what he doesn't realize is that his profit in Dogecoin is from all of those kids, those 16-year-old kids that took their first allowance money, their first, you know, work money, and they dumped it into Dogecoin, and that's where he made money. It's not from productivity. It's not because Doge has done incredible development work. There's nothing in Doge. Joke. It's a funny joke. They helped the Jamaican bobsled team at one point. I think that was the only interesting uh, accomplishment there. It is fundamentally zero-sum. And that hurts people. And what's worse is that it hurts people in the way, unfortunately, that something like sexual assault hurts people, 
which is that when people get conned and, or, or defrauded, like my brother, they feel incredible shame. They feel like they're the dumb one. And they feel that they, um, you know, that they can't speak about it and that they don't want to talk about it because they were the one to, you know, at fault. And so someone like my brother, he doesn't even, he doesn't, he, you know, it, it, it pains him. It hurts him to, to like talk about nano because it burned him so much. Again, nothing to do with the nano people. I don't think anyone tried to hurt him, but that's what it is. And, and the result is that you have these Trayvon James people that are boasting about their success and excitedly shilling, like, get, get your money in the space. And then you have people like my brother who will just calmly and silently, you know, keep it to himself that he lost. You know, for him, it's not a big deal. He's doing great. He's, he's got a, a beautiful wife and he's making, an, he works in San Francisco. He's fantastic. But, you know, from that little micro part of his life in 2017, it was a pretty bad experience. Um, and so, you know, that's why my podcast is called When the Music Stops, because what I want to draw people's attention to is the fact that this party, um, you know, as much as I hate to be a party crasher, but this, this party is, you know, it, it, it might come to an end. It has to come to an end, unfortunately. And when it does, we want to we limit how many people are burned, because if there's something good about Nano, we don't want that to be lost because a lot of people say, you know, I lost my child's college tuition to Nano. And I lost, you know, I, I got divorced with my wife because I put all my money in Nano and my wife left me. We don't want that. So um, the last question I'm going to ask you, Patrick, and I cannot thank you enough for just your honesty, your open-mindedness in this conversation. It could not have gone as well as, as I could have envisioned in my wildest dreams. <laughs> but I want to ask you, where do we go from here? Where do you think the next step is? What do you think, you know, uh, obviously you want to think about this. You want to like read and, and discuss. But where, where, where do we go from here in, in your mind? Yeah, so obviously you've given me a, a lot of really good stuff to uh, think about. And some of it I have thought about in some, some, uh, on some level, but not obviously to the depth or with the expertise of someone like yourself. So I, I do, personally, I do need to go back and research more on traditional economics, macroeconomics, the last decade, all those things, and how the boom-bust cycles play out, deflationary spirals, all those things. In, in short term, the challenge for me is... How, uh, uh, to me, it almost seems like the conversation, or not this conversation, but the, the, the study and pursuit of something like nano and its good or bad um, benefits for society is a, a cost-benefit analysis that's very difficult to do because there's so many variables, uh, not just now, but also over time, like short-term, mid-term versus long-term, and how, how much, essentially how much say should we let the free market have versus some form of regulation versus like finding that balance, right? There, there's obviously some people that are extreme free market. There's all obviously some people that want a lot more regulation. I'm somewhere in the middle. It sound, from this conversation, it sounds like at least in the crypto, when it comes to crypto, you're kind of maybe somewhere there in the, in the well, I don't know, in the middle, maybe more on the other side. But in any in any case, um, it, it, there's so many variable. It, it feels like I would have to um, sit in and calculate. Okay. The, the presumed utility or the apparent or real world utility of XYZ crypto versus um, all the potential harms, the, the skirting the regulations for good and for not good purposes and weigh that out and then make a decision on whether or not to continue in this space or pivot to a different way or address the problem in a different way or continue down the same path. Um, it's just, I, I guess I just have to do that research and figure out 
uh, how I want to go. Um, and, and if, if I truly agree with all your arguments or not, whether they're based on, on fact for, for the podcast sake, and I will, I'll take your arguments at face value and presume you're arguing in good faith and the evidence is there, but obviously I have to do that due diligence for myself. Um, and then beyond, beyond me and longer term for nano or crypto in general, where do we take it? Um, that's a, a tough question, but I think at the very least, the, the, these kind of conversations are a very important part of that and being open to these conversations and continuing them and getting more people's views and perspectives to, to come to that conclusion and, uh, or, or a different conclusion, whatever the conclusion is, right? Wherever the evidence leads us. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for, but really I just, I don't have the expertise and I have to go back and do research. And, and that's an excellent response, you know, because if we're talking about a cost benefit, we really want to like, wait, what is the cost? What is the benefit? Um, I, I would love to say to you that the, the benefits are incredible. Like, for example, my, my work in Bitcoin and I've worked in Bitcoin privacy. I want to say that, for example, the fact that Edward Snowden leaked uh, the crimes of the U.S. government and used Bitcoin as a way to do that is a, a, good, a good thing in the world. Um, but with Bitcoin right now, unfortunately, the costs are obviously very bad. And there's actually interesting ways we can measure that. A good way to measure that is, you know, when we're talking about nano, we talk about people buying in and then getting out and then buying in and then getting out. And we observe that it's kind of like a poker situation where some people win, some people lose, but it's kind of zero sum. With Bitcoin, unfortunately, it's actually worse than nano. If, 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 if the nano people want to take something away from this or, you know, Bitcoin is in fact worse than nano in this regard. Um, Bitcoin has mining. And so what happens is that miners burn, do a lot of costly, expensive uh, work, building, manufacturing, buying these gigantic mining things, burning electricity. Then they get new coins. Remember, that's out of thin air. They sell that to new money coming in to the yeah. tune of, at, at the moment right now, 40 million US dollars per day yeah. is mining Block alone. Rewards. Yeah. That's right. Which means that per month, about a billion dollars of new money has to come in to pay for the miners. And it literally goes to the miners who make a very tiny profit. Most miners are going bankrupt. It's such a hard business. Yeah, expensive. To, incredibly hard, hard to do. And so unfortunately, we can measure, you know, not so much with nano, but at least with other cryptocurrencies, we can measure this. Uh, at its record this year, that number was about $4 billion of money burned a month of new money coming in that will never be returned because it's gone. It, it went to miners. Those miners are not going to, like they have to dump that coin. They have to, to, to pay off those costs. Um, I, I encourage you to obviously do that research. If you know, you know I, I would love, 100% would love to hear that crypto does more good than bad. Um, but the fact that as an example, that Nano is not even a top 100 coin right now and hex is number five, is a testament to the fact that bad outweighs the good. In other words, that when legitimate people are with good intentions trying to do a good thing, that's not even getting the, intention, the, the attention of idiots that are scamming, doing a bad thing, and suckering people. And that is, is, is getting more attention. And to me, that's unfortunate, right? It's like if the university was mostly astrology. You know, yes, there are some <laughs> things at the university that are bullshit course right science yeah. changes but for the most part university is good and in the case of crypto it's it's it, it's 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 hard to say that um i want to thank you again for for this discussion patrick i like i don't know if i don't know if i can do this with any other coin i think nano might be the only 
coin that will have people like this that can talk, which is huge. Like shout out to nano folks for, for being of this mentality. It's like, that is how we're going to actually make some progress in digital money. If, if, if that ever does happen, it's going to be from people like this. Um, you know, uh, but I, I don't know if, if that, if that would, if I would ever get that lucky with almost anyone else. And I, and I really, I have to thank you again for your honesty and for the, the, the approach um, and I think I would love to have you on again in a few months and just see where you are, what you're doing. Um, maybe get some reflections, you know, something we can add to your journal about, you know, you know, this, this interesting, uh, chapter in your life, because it's just a chapter at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Patrick, um, uh, thank you so much. And is there anything you want to say, like shout out, uh, you have an excellent Twitter, you have tons of followers. Do you want to mention your Twitter? or your YouTube channel or anything else? No, I really just do those as a hobby, like nothing serious. So no need to shout them out. You can find me just by my name if you really want to, but I don't, oh. I don't post that interesting stuff. So <laughs> Okay. Well, I will say, you know, despite all of this, pa Patrick's videos on YouTube are an actual pleasure to listen to. They're educational for the most part. They're introspective. And he did call BitConnect when it was a Ponzi, um, which, is, which is, again, impressive because a lot of us couldn't make that call. Um, and so I, I think that if, you know, from a non-speculation perspective, if you just wanted to learn about this, um, I think that your YouTube is a, is a pretty, uh, pretty dope place, uh, uh, to do that. Um, thank so we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, again, I, I can't thank you enough. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. Great conversation. Really appreciate it.